0: We could tell you a lot about our new elevators, their features, materials, and colors. But what really matters to us is how they relate to you, how you experience elevators, how our new smart materials can reject dirt, microbes, even fingerprints, and can deal with wear and tear how users of buildings can connect in new ways, and how you're able to create new connections all the way from entrances to home doors and office desks. Our solutions can make your life easier, richer, and more intelligent. This is why our new elevators have built-in connectivity. So whatever tomorrow brings, you'll be ready by making the core of your building updatable You're able to meet future needs and increase the value of your building. Entering the new era of elevators, Kone DX class elevators, connecting more than floors.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Kone's first ever virtual capital markets day. I'm Sanna Kae, the Head of CONES Investor Relations. Let's first look at the agenda for today. We have all together four presentations and uh, short pre-recorded videos from the heads of our different geographic areas. The event will altogether take around three hours, a little bit more than that, and we have one 10-minute break in between. We have now been executing our Winning With with Customer strategy for four years, and this is the final year of the strategy phase. The presentations will be focusing on what we have achieved in terms of mindset, ways of working and offering during this strategy phase, and what will be the next steps going forward. You will have an opportunity to ask questions during the event. You can do that by submitting questions through the form at the bottom of the page during the presentations. And at the end, we will open the telephone lines for more questions. I will now invite on stage our president and CEO Henrik Äänruth for the first presentation.
2: Henrik, please. Thank you, Sanna, and a warm welcome also on my behalf. Great to have all of you online. Of course, we would have much preferred to see you all in person, but let's make the best out of this situation. I think we have an interesting afternoon or morning together, depending where you are. As Sanna mentioned already, we started executing our Winning With Customer strategy back in 2017, and we made some good progress since. The purpose of today is to review what progress we have made, but also to talk about how do we see our markets developing in the coming years and how are we planning to capture that opportunity by driving further differentiation. So those are some of the key themes you will hear from my colleagues and from myself today. But let's start with looking at what we have achieved during the past almost four years since we started to work on our winning with customer strategy. And then I will talk about how we're building on the strengths that we have for the next phase in our development. Very much as we have done consistently over many, many years. 2017 was the start of the current strategy phase. When we looked at the world in 2017, we could see many attractive changes happening that we're positive for our industry. And we could see that by further differentiating and bringing solutions to our customers that actually helps them succeed in their business, we can create additional profitable growth. So that's what what we set out to do, is to build an even more customer-centric organization. Capabilities of really deeper understanding our customers' businesses and that way being more consequential to their success. And of course, developing our offering to add more value to our customers. And that way also create additional revenue streams for Kone. But perhaps the biggest mindset change for us was one to create a truly outside in mindset. Outside means that we start always from whatever needs our customers have, and that's how we develop everything at Kone. So those were some of the things that we set out to do almost four years ago. What I'll talk about next is how have we developed there, but let's start with a few highlights. So what have we accomplished? I mentioned already mindset, very important. That's always at the heart of everything, how we think about how we serve our customers, how we think about how we develop our company and how we work with our customers. So it's been a lot about creating customer centricity and capabilities around that. Again, we have continued to train actively our people. And when I look at the progress here, I think we made some really nice progress. You will hear much more from from my colleagues of how we created capabilities or developing together with our customers for their benefit. So I think we actually made a big step forward here. Mindset alone is, of course, not going to be enough. We need to have an offering for our customers to deliver value add to them. I think what is familiar to quite many of you is that we have had a very active phase of bringing new value added services, solutions and products to our customers. I'll talk about those a little bit more. But that has been really a key to this phase is actually we have brought totally new types of services, to bring new values to our customers and actually generates revenues that didn't exist in, in this industry before. And that I'm very pleased about. And also been a lot about new ways of working to have a smarter, more efficient organization, a lot about the Accelerate program, but also how we have further developed our connect technologies and innovation organization. Let me then take a glimpse into our new equipment business our services business, what we have done there. In our new equipment business, we're building on the very strong foundation we already had. I think as everyone knows, we have a very strong basic product competitiveness in our industry, and that has been the basis of what we have done. In this period, we have again shown the direction innovation in our industry. One of the signs of that was that we brought DX class elevators to the market in November last year. Again, they bring a new era in elevators, but also we have improved the basic competitiveness of our products, both on elevators and escalators. To bring new value added solutions to our customers and improve our capabilities in sales and pricing, we have developed a lot of our sales capabilities, both pricing excellence, where I think we made good progress and that we can see from the outcomes. And also developed solution selling capabilities, where we sell whole systems, solutions and outcomes to our customer rather than products only. And we have also strengthened our delivery chain to ensure that we constantly deliver on our customers' promises. That is a big value for us to do it. And also to improve our productivity. And if we look at the outcomes, as you know, that we have gained market share again throughout this period, particularly in the past two, two and a half years, even more so. And we have improved our uh, margins of our orders received. So we can see that we have provided more value add and improved our pricing. So the outcomes are quite good. In services, I think it's familiar to many people that about five years ago, we set out, actually a little bit more than five years ago, we set out to differentiate even stronger in services Because actually we felt that there was, in general, lack of differentiation. And one of the first things we we, uh, concluded, and we always have had as a basis, is that services are very much about people. People is the number one differentiator. How you make sure that they have the best service mindset, the best capabilities to serve our customers, to focus on right outcomes for our customers. We brought a lot of new value-added solutions for our customers. We've talked a lot about 24-7 connected services and also the adaptable service offering, our new Connect Care, as well as most lately, also our DX class solutions to the modernization business. So again, a lot of new solutions and value for our customers. Much has been about capturing the digital opportunity, which is very significant in services. And we very much looked at that from two perspectives. That how do we have a platform so we can actually add value to our customers? That's really the principal uh, focus. But at the same time, we want to have the best tools for our field technicians, for our people who work and serve our customers to have the best information for them constantly and improve productivity. And I think we're actually in quite good shape here. What is the outcome? We are the fastest growing in services of the major players in our industry. We have increased the value per unit. If you look at maintenance, that's a big change to history. And that shows that we are adding value. And also modernization, we have improved our margins in our orders received. So I would claim that the outcomes are pretty positive. Let's take a snap uh, peek into our 24-7 connected services, how we're uh, developing them. We all know that this is really our flagship service. And we can see that momentum is building very nicely here. The idea with our 24-7 connected services is, of course, to add clear value to our customers. And at the same time, when we do that, we can create additional growth for Kone. And we can see it is driving growth for us. Already, if you look at this year, it is contributing about one percentage point to our maintenance growth. And this is actually quite meaningful in my view, because if you think about our maintenance business, that has been continuously and constantly compounding at between five, six, or sometimes up to 7%. If we can add one, two percentage points of growth through value-added services in the compounding, it is actually meaningful over time. And that is what we're doing. And growth is actually accelerating here. Our penetration is still only a bit over 5%. But we have a number of countries that are already over 10% of our contracts covered by this. And by the end of the year, we expect a lot of our big countries be over 10%. But what is perhaps even more important is that this is not a static service. The more customers we have, the more we learn and the better service needs and outcomes we can create. So this is something that when you only have 1000 or 2000, 3000 units connected, you will actually not have sufficient data to create really the best outcomes and the service needs. But when you start to have like us, a very uh, significant base connected, you actually learn all the time. And that helps us bring the new services to our customers constantly. Like we recently brought 24-7 Planner. That's again a new element, new feature to our service, where we can create long-term asset management plans for the next two, three years for our customers to help them plan, what do I need to repair? What do I need to upgrade and bring predictability to this? And this is a huge thing for our customers. And we've seen very positive feedback as a result of that. But those are really highlights for our new equipment business and services business, and a little bit of a look into 24-7. But what I think is familiar to most people is that the way we measure our success is through our five strategic targets. Here we have our five strategic targets. And we can see actually a good development in most of them throughout this period. So let me actually dive a little bit deeper into each of them, how we create the most loyal customers, going to be a great place to work. Have we grown faster market? What about best financial development and being leader in sustainability? Those are the five ways how we measure our longer term success. So let's start with most loyal customers, which is a clear objective of ours. The key way how we measure that is through our Net Promoter Score. We again recently did our annual survey and we've seen over the strategy period a good development in both our new equipment business and our services business. Latest survey was now in the spring and summer of 2020. And again, we had a slight uptick in that and had an all time high now Net Promoter Score. And we are at a good level here. Customers continue to appreciate us for our quality, our focus on them and delivering on what we promise. Many also talk about our uh, innovations. We do have an opportunity to improve in how responsive we are to a very broad and diverse customer base. And that is something that we're working a lot on, how we can be much more responsive to really meet, help our customers be served even better than they do today. So we have some good fundamentals, but as always, good opportunities to improve. Going being a great place to work is really, I would say, fundamental everything. By having skilled, motivated and engaged employees, it's clear with that we can serve our customers like no one else. We talked in, our Q, in connection with our Q2 results about the results of our employee engagement survey of this year. And the results were just incredibly strong. First, 92% of our 60,000 employees answered it. We were already before this for many years in the so-called high performance category. And now we are very strongly into high performance category. We had very strong results. Our employees very much appreciate our strategy, direction innovation, Also said that our diversity inclusion scores, they have improved significantly, while we still have a lot to be done. But we also did earlier in the year an organizational health survey. Also here, we were in the top quartile with strengths, innovation, direction, how we communicate internally where we go and customer competition focus. So we have a very good basis of our culture and engagement of our employees. And this is important. Our third target is to grow faster in the market, and we have had good development in this, uh, in this period, both in our new equipment as well as our services business. Our orders received, which of course consists mainly of new equipment and, then modernization, and partly, uh, modernization and partly also repair sales, has grown a constant currencies, an average of 5% over this period. We know that when we went into this period, the market in China was very difficult. So the first year we didn't grow, but then 2018-19, we actually accelerated clearly that growth. And with this, we have constantly gained market share, particularly strong market share gains in 2018 and 2019. This year, of course, we need to see, but I think we are on a good path again. In maintenance, our maintenance base has compounded at 6%, which again, the fastest, if you look at us compared to our major competitors. So yes, we also continue to grow faster than the market. Our fourth target is to have the best financial development. Here we can't be fully satisfied. That's clear. Going into this period, we know that we had a very challenging market in China starting in 2015, then particularly in 16, 17, and partly into 2018, where pricing Was very much under pressure raw material prices came up so that actually put a pressure on our margins what i'm happy about that since q2 2019 we have actually improved now the margins of our orders received both through improved pricing as well as productivity and therefore we are an improving path which we could see in the second quarter of this year that despite the crisis, we actually slightly improved our margins. So it's really coming through, but it's clear that uh, we're working hard to come back to the levels we were before uh, uh, this period. Our fifth target is to be the leader in sustainability. That's very important to us. We know that already today Kone has the most energy efficient products out in the market. But we constantly want to improve. We are looking at sustainability from a few different perspectives. First, we look at the carbon footprint of our operations. Here, our target is to improve 3% annually compared to our sales. So CO2 per sale should reduce 3% per year. In three out of the four years, we have exceeded our targets. One year we didn't quite get there, but then we put some more focus, and again, we start to exceed targets. Our target is by next year to have 50% of our energy produced by renewable energy. We've gone up from 28% to 37 so we still have some work to be done this year. In diversity, number of women, this is one of the measures, but number of women at director level position has increased from 16 to 18%, And we have not got to our target of 20, so we continue to put more effort in this area. And then we want to be a zero accident company. We have improved our industrial injury frequency rate from 2.1 to 1.7. And compared to benchmarks, 1.7 is at, at a very good level. However, it's clear that we are not happy about this, that we want to be an incident free company. So again. Good development in sustainability. So those are five strategic targets. And if I just look at then a snapshot on a development this year, when we know the market has been very challenging, what I'm very happy about that in the midst of the crisis this year, actually business has remained very resilient. Our orders received has declined by 5%, which I think is a good achievement in this environment. As sales has been flat, our adjusted EBIT has just declined slightly. It declined more in the first quarter and then it actually improved in the second quarter. And our cash flow has been very strong. By far the strongest cash flow ever in a six month period. So that of course gives us a very good fundament to continue developing Kone proactively also in this environment. And let's turn to that next. That how are we building on our next phase and our mega trends and a solid foundation to differentiate even more and continue to uh, to drive growth. I haven't talked so much about the COVID crisis. But let's talk about that shortly first. When we started to see the impact of the crisis earlier this year, we immediately made a few fundamental decisions. One, which of course the obvious one, which I think most companies are focused on, is is the safety, health and well-being of our people and our partners and the general public, that there cannot be any compromise there. Secondly, we decided that actually we want to create an even stronger uh, company of Kone throughout this crisis, because when we look at our history, we can see that many of our big improvements in our market position has come following or during a crisis. And we also want to take this opportunity here. We have a position to do it. We have a very strong balance sheet. We have motivated engaged employees and a good position overall. So we said cost is not going to be our primary objective. Our primary objective is going to be health and safety of our people, serving our customers and really driving forward our development programs to really make Kony a stronger company. So what have we done? We have increased our training over the years a lot. This year, we've expanded it a lot. Number of completed courses by employees during a crisis in the spring, we're up like three times compared to the previous year. Still now we are more than twice compared to normal levels. So the first objective when people did not have work to do in installation or service was to train them. And that's something we're going to continue. Secondly, we have actually accelerated our investments in R&D. Many of our core programs we've allocated more resources to them, and we developed our health and well-being solutions. So we really want to make this an opportunity for us. And if we look at what are the implications of the crisis of many of our customer sectors, we can say that it's still unclear, but there are many trends we're following closely. So if we look briefly, we can say that residential, I believe that it's going to be A resilient uh, sector. Because we are spending more time at home. We are going to work more at home and therefore people value their homes a lot. And we can see that that has recovered actually uh, residential sales and construction in many countries have recovered quite nicely. So that's probably going to be quite resilient and that's more than 50 percent of our sales. Offices. What is the future of the office? It's clear that the new normal We will work differently. There will be more mixed mode of working, partly from home, probably more from offices to ensure that you continue to uh, drive innovation, team spirit, culture and so forth, but it's going to be more mixed mode of working. So the question is that what does the future office look like? How much space do we need? I think that's still unclear. And to me, it's not at all clear that it's going to be less space. Because the trend during the past 20 years has been constantly less space per employee in office buildings. And we probably went too far. And we're going to need different types of spaces. So I believe really the key here again will be adaptability, which we know that modern offices will be well suited to, but not necessarily older offices where they need to be upgraded. So let's follow here, but it's going to be a change definitely. Infrastructure, with all the government stimulus we see, we think that's going to be a robust and resilient sector. And it's clear that travel, leisure and retail are going to be hardest hit. And that's going to take a time before they recover. But we're going to have different situations and that means there are going to be opportunities that we need to find from this and that we think we can do. But also to really look at what are the needs that have come out. We can see that actually people flow and the elevator has shifted from being maybe a secondary thought in smart buildings to really a primary role. And that has really been a key thing that how can we bring more intelligence? How can we do things more remotely? And how do we actually help building owners have safe flows to bring people back to the office? And here we've done again a lot. Of course, our 24-7 connected services and DX class elevators are incredibly relevant in this area because it really provides you with adaptability and ability to just seamlessly bring new services. To also support buildings, manage this, we brought out new health and well-being solutions. But also worked a lot with our customers on how do you safely return to offices and what is the office of the future to reimagine that. And we can see that people flow is really at the center of the thinking of many people. So we can see again a lot of opportunities coming outdoor situation like this but if we look a little bit longer uh, forward we can see that our industry continues to have healthy megatrends that we can uh, capture and bring opportunities from urbanization yes that's going to continue but in a slightly different way sustainability we can say it's the most important challenge of our generation hugely important and technology enabler to solve many of the problems. So these are the megatrends that we believe will drive continuous opportunities and growth in our industry. So what about urbanization? I've been asked many questions by people that, hey, do you think at and do you think, Hendrik, that urbanization will continue or people move back to rural areas? I think the answer is very much urbanization will continue, but in a slightly different way. And that is because of demographic changes more and more people living by themselves. They want to live closer to services, closer to entertainment and probably to their friends. But it may not be only the biggest cities that grow. Actually, it's probably going to be megacity hubs and clusters. And you hear Bill Johnson talk about that a little bit more for China and therefore the rise of second tier cities around with good connectivity and connections in to the big cities. So we know that high density uh, areas brings opportunities, but also challenges. And that is what we want to resolve with our people for solutions. So that's the urbanization megatrend that we think is going to continue. But also sustainability. We think that that is the biggest challenge of our generation. Cities and urban uh, environments They account for, today, 40% of world's energy-related greenhouse gas emissions. So they're going to play a significant role in sustainability for the future. And why we think this is going to be such an interesting trend is that we see a lot of commitment in this area, the EU Green Deal, with emphasis on building renovation. What is very interesting is that if we look forward to 2050, that 80% of the buildings that are going to exist in 2050, we expect that exist already today. And less than a quarter of these buildings meet future or actually current regulations. And therefore they need to be modernized and upgraded for energy efficiency. China has just pledged energy neutral, uh, carbon neutrality by 2060. That's going to be a huge growth driver. And we can see that capital actually is drawn towards greener buildings. That's what tenants are expecting. And as we all know, at Kone, we have some great assets here. We are already a leader with the most energy efficient product family in the industry. So we think that this is a great opportunity for us. And also to further show our leadership here, we actually yesterday announced our pledge to science-based targets. We are pledging that our Operations will be carbon neutral by 2030. We, we, we are planning to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 50% of our own operations, so-called scope one and two. And the rest we will compensate. And of course, that will be a lot about our buildings, a lot about our car fleet and so forth. But also, we are committing to a significant reduction across the value chain. So we are committed to a 40% further reduction in greenhouse gas emission from our products and materials life life cycle energy usage, so-called Scope 3, relative to products ordered by 2030. This is again a very big commitment. Here, we of course need to uh, continue to improve the energy efficiency of our products and solutions, of our materials, their circularity, but also engaging with our suppliers much more in detail. But this is a big pledge and very important to us because we think that sustainability and being a sustainable business is not only the right thing to do, it is also a huge business opportunity. That's why we made this pledge because we think it's the right thing to do and we want to play our part here. But next, before I wrap up. Let's listen to short videos from our area heads, how they see the opportunities in our various geographic areas, and they will all give their own perspective on a specific area where we are looking to differentiate and grow and bring opportunities. So let's have a look at what they have to say. Hi,
3: I'm Tomas Inosko, Executive Vice President of Central and North Europe. Central and North Europe is a diverse area consisting of 21 countries, however dominated by some large mature markets like Germany and the UK. It's also an area where our resilient service business is the largest. Let's have a more granular look at the market and what the outlook is. Maybe before we do so, let me first start by thanking all our customers for trusting us and also our employees for delivering the corner promise to our customers every day during these very challenging times. Looking at our exposure, clearly the residential segment is our largest customer segment. It's a resilient customer segment. It's also when you look from a new equipment market, a segment with good underlying demand. Here we believe we'll see a stable outlook for the near future. Less favorable so is the commercial segment. Commercial has been softening and we believe that will continue in the coming months. Governments are looking into currently of supporting the economy, and that's where we see that the infrastructure investment will continue in trains and metro stations, etc. However, on modernization overall, um, even though there's a very large potential in modernizing equipment across central North Europe, We do see a softening in this market as decision-making is dragging out and taking longer time because customers are taking a pause, just look and see what actually their future brings before making the final decision. So how are we capturing these opportunities in this market? Central North Europe was one of the first um, where the DX elevator was launched. The DX has clearly helped us differentiate Uh, being more relevant to our customers, but also uh, helping solve our customers' problem in a better, more future-proof way. Clearly, when we talk to customers, uh, they are concerned about that they don't really know what the future hotel, office, hospital is going to look like. They need flexibility, they need adaptability uh, for the future people. flow, And that's where the DX will help and can help facilitate that. For example, should there be a big need of robots in a hotel or in a hospital going forward, that's something that DX Elevator can facilitate and accommodate in a very easy way. Um, also, um, this situation with the COVID-19 has shown us that we need to be very adaptable when it comes to engaging and connecting with customers. And we've clearly been able to do so. This is something we're gonna look much more into and focus and develop in the future, how to, in the best possible way and the most effective way also, connect and engage with customers on their terms. With that, thank you very much. I hope you have a really good day.
4: Thank you. My name is Pierre Liotu, and I'm executive vice president for CONE, South Europe, Middle East and Africa. Our area is fairly large geographically, as it spans from Brussels to Johannesburg and from Lisbon to Karachi. It covers large and mature markets, such as France, Italy, Iberica, and also growth-oriented regions, such as the Gulf countries, Turkey and Israel, but also Serbia and Romania. We are doing business under our own name in approximately 25 countries, and we are represented by authorized distributor in another 40, mostly located in Africa, but also in countries such as Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan. As you can expect, our business in mature countries is largely driven by the services opportunity. We do have about 30% of total Kone maintenance base in our region, while the new equipment is the core growth engine in our developing markets. Let's look at the near-term market outlook for the region. Our business mix is well balanced in terms of customer segment. Residential, here in dark blue, is by far the largest slice of the pie, seen in terms of volume and in profitability, and that is valid for both the new equipment and the services. Office in green, medical and infrastructure in yellow, and retail and hospitality in light blue are of about the equivalent size. When we look at the coming quarters, we see less growth in new equipment than in previous years, especially in developing markets. Within traditionally stable segments such as residential and office, We believe our value-added offering with DX and 24 by 7 will help us differentiate and develop our market share. Infrastructure and medical segments are the most likely to benefit from government stimulus packages and we are gearing up to take advantage of those opportunities, especially in modernization. From a country perspective, we see good prospects in several markets, such as France, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, while the short-term outlook for Israel and Southeast Europe is less positive. But now, beyond the near term, I'd like to represent how we plan to capture more business in our region. First, the investment we made over the past five years around customer experience are paying off. Understanding the customer journeys Developing initiative to engage at the right moment with the right mindset is helping us to increase responsiveness. I'm very encouraged by the ratings we receive from customers through Net Promoter Score. Specifically, our commitment to serve all our customers during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic that hit South Europe especially hard has earned us very positive feedback. And this is also translating in terms of customer loyalty. Example, how well we're retaining the maintenance contract. That metric is high and it's improving year on year despite intense price competition from small and large competitors alike. In fact, we can expect the average maintenance price to rise in the future. In terms of Midterm growth, the service opportunity in South Europe, Middle East, and Africa is very large. And our core platform with the DX and the 24 by seven connected services is giving us a lot of benefit to win with our customers. Whatever the age of the equipment, whatever the brand, we can now offer to our customers. Modernization, modernization solution that will deliver the benefits of Kone DX platform and the smart and reliable 24 by seven connected services. What's really inspiring with the recent DX modernization launch is that modernization is no longer just a solution for remediating to technical obsolescence, but it's also a new entry in the world of digital services. And when you think that the service market in Europe is in the range of several million units, you can imagine the potential. Thank you very much for your attention.
5: Hello, I'm Ken Schmid, KONE's Executive Vice President in the Americas. The Americas contributes approximately 20% to KONE's global revenue. Geographically, the region is comprised of Canada, the United States, and Mexico. We also provide equipment and technical expertise to our distributors in Central and South America. Overall, the United States is the major contributor to revenue in the region. Now, let's take a look at our outlook for the markets. As you look at the segment distribution, you see that office and residential comprise a majority of the revenue. However, there are material contributions coming from infrastructure, medical, as well as hotel and retail, so good strong diversity across each of the segments. Our outlook in the new equipment business suggests that office and hotel retail will be slightly down. This is driven predominantly by the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. We think that the residential and infrastructure medical will be rather flat. As we look at the maintenance business, we see it as continuing to be rather resilient. We have good opportunities with our digital solutions 24 7, as well as our health and well being solutions. Finally, the modernization business line we see is being slightly down, with some recovery coming as discretionary spending loosens. Now, let's take a look at an opportunity that we're very excited about in the Americas lean construction. The technicians that install our elevators and escalators in the United States come with a very high hourly labor rate. So everything we can do to drive productivity and eliminate waste will drive strong profitability. When we talk about lean construction, we really look at it from four different angles. The first one I'd like to talk about is around product design. What we're doing now is designing elevators by installers for installers to make sure we standardize the tools and the work practices to drive efficiency. A great example of this is our recently released Mono 300. This is a machine roomless elevator for two and three landing applications. It gives us access to the hydraulic elevator market that we previously did not have. This product was designed by technicians for the technicians, and we're very excited about the promise it holds in serving our customers and driving profitable growth. The next area I would like to talk about is around scheduling. Understanding our customers' pain points. What are their schedules? What are they trying to achieve when? What are the coordination challenges with their other contractors on the job site? By aligning ourselves and understanding our customers' critical path schedule, we can align our schedule to make sure we're doing the right things at the right time. We also then have the opportunity to set internal priorities for production Optimizing the supply chain and logistics to minimize costs. The next element I would like to speak to involves the visual workplace, something that may seem rather simple but is a challenge in construction. With the visual workplace, we post where our teams gather and review every day visual indications of what we're going to achieve that day and the rest of the week. And then we circle back each day to say did we achieve each of the items that we said we were going to achieve with technicians on multiple floors at many different points of the installation this helps us stay aligned so that we can optimize each technician assuring that they're staying busy but it also assures coordination with the other trades and the our customer the general contractor the final element of lean construction is on some of our technology Construction solutions. Specifically, here I'd like to point out Jump Lift. The Jump Lift technology on a job site allows our customer to move people and materials on the job site with up to 50% efficiency. All of these four things combined for our lean construction solution to differentiate Kone, understanding our customer's business, their pain points, addressing them, thereby adding value. We get employee engagement, and at the end of the day, we're very proud to say that KONE will continue to be the selected partner of new construction. Thank you.
6: Good afternoon to all. I'm Maxi Bergling, Executive Vice President, KONE Corporation, and I head the Asia Pacific region, excluding China. This region is one of our growth engines because it is urbanizing, at a rapid pace. It has the second youngest population in the world and the rate of technology adoption is the highest. It consists of a diverse group of countries and we have split them into sub based on the market maturity. India is the second largest new equipment market in the world with an urbanisation rate of only 35%. We then have the Southeast Asian markets with fast developing countries like Vietnam, Indonesia, and the Philippines, with an urbanization rate clearly below 50%. And somewhat more developed countries, like Malaysia and Thailand, with an urbanization rate of above 50%. The other extreme are Singapore and Australia and New Zealand, which are highly urbanized countries. With a rapid pace of urbanization, over half of our sales come from the new equipment business. However, We also have a sizable and rapid-growing service business with a lot of opportunities. Let's now take a look how we expect our markets to develop in the coming quarters. Firstly, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted our area quite severely. Some countries like Vietnam, Thailand, Australia, and New Zealand were able to contain the virus fairly well. However, Others like Malaysia and Singapore were more impacted but show good signs of recovery. India, Indonesia and the Philippines still struggle to contain the virus and the uncertainty remains quite high. The lockdowns have impacted our project deliveries and caused labor shortages at sites. We have also seen delays of new projects. Our maintenance business has been resilient as services has been considered as essential. If I look at the outlook for the next couple of quarters, it varies a lot by customer segment and country. As I mentioned earlier, we are still a young and growing region and urbanization continues to create growth opportunities in residential or largest customer segment. Vietnam, for example, shows strong growth and we see some recovery and good opportunities in India and Indonesia as well. Expectations for more remote working are impacting the outlook of our second largest customer segment, office. But we also see some green shoots in countries where the virus has been contained. We also have a meaningful share of hotel and retail in the area, which due to the pandemic looks less positive in all countries, especially those with a high share of tourism like Thailand. The medical segment shows positive signs, not just from the need for more hospitals, but also the need for new technologies. We also expect government investment in infra projects to support a good recovery in 2021 in almost all countries. Our service business has been on a double-digit growth trend. The main challenge we are currently facing is the slowness in the decision making. But the positive side is that we see opportunities in the long term as the markets are still developing and growing. The modernization business has opportunities, especially in the more mature countries, as the building needs are changing post-pandemic. The need for making buildings more adaptable and future-proof is increasing, and this is creating opportunities. Overall, I would say that also we are facing some headwinds. In the short term, we still see great opportunities for the long term. Today, I would still like to talk about one exciting aspect of our diverse region. The opportunities related to smart and green innovations. We are headquartered in Singapore, where government initiatives to make the country green and smart are very strong. Singapore has been at the forefront when it comes to sustainability and new technologies and has topped the smart city ranking for the second year in a row. Singapore has one of the highest adoption rates of our 24 by 7 services across the globe and has also been one of the forerunners in the health and well-being solutions we launched during the pandemic. We have an innovation lab in the city and we are working together with customers and partners to support them in their initiatives. This helps us strengthen our digital infrastructure, adopt new technologies and learn more to support our customers in their sustainability initiatives and how to influence the market. We believe these learnings will be valuable also in other markets. With the high level of customer loyalty and our strong employee engagement, we are confident that our area will be one of Kona's growth engines for the future. I truly believe we are in the right neighborhood. Thank you for your attention.
2: I hope you all got some good insights of how we see our markets in the different, different geographic areas and how we are capturing opportunities in these markets. One thing that you probably realize that we didn't have anything on China because we know that China is of big interest and of course, big interest to us, given the importance of the business to us. So we have now next a slightly longer review by Bill Johnson of the current situation in China. So please, over to you, Bill.
7: China. China is all about people and people flow. Hello, I'm Bill Johnson with Coney Greater China. China represents a significant portion Of Konya's global business. I will spend the next few minutes with you sharing our perspective on the China market and our operations here. Currently, we have more than 20,000 employees in China operating two factories, 90 branches and more than 500 service stations. We serve more than 30,000 customers, including nine of the top 10 developers in China. Earlier this year, we were the first elevator OEM to ship more than 1 million units in China. This is a significant milestone for us and for the industry. The majority of our China operation has been led by the new equipment business. Yet the maintenance and modernization businesses are experiencing even stronger growth. Let's first look at what has happened to the economy and the real estate market so far this year. Since the end of quarter one, China has experienced a very strong V-shaped recovery. The real estate sector recovered quickly since quarter two and even stronger into quarter three. This has been supported by favorable government policies related to developer financing, access to land and new investment into infrastructure. The real estate market is linked to China's overall economic climate. Key drivers include regulatory direction, property supply and demand, and of course, developers' access to capital. As anticipated, COVID-19 conditions may have material impact going forward. Two macro trends impacting our industry is the continued formation of city clusters, as well as the recent focus on infrastructure investment. Growth in these city clusters will drive the elevator and escalator market at a sustainable level. Investment in these key clusters is accelerating, especially for transportation related to infrastructure and affordable housing. The residential segment in these key city clusters has recovered quickly to pre-COVID-19 levels. And though the real estate sector has recovered impressively, we continue to see regulatory environment becoming slightly more restrictive going into 2021. One example, the government recently started to pilot a new risk assessment method to monitor debt among large developers. Such measures are likely to put pressure on real estate sector's cash flows going forward. In general, the central government continues its stance of housing for living, not speculation, and we do not expect this to change in the foreseeable future. We remain optimistic going into the first half of 2021, however, are cautious for the second half. The residential and infrastructure segments are expected to remain solid, while office, retail and hotel will remain soft. For Coney, China, residential remains a large part of our business at approximately 70% while infrastructure represents less than 10%. We continue to strengthen our position in China. Despite a challenging first quarter, by mid-February, we were one of the first OEMs to resume operations. This was possible through close collaboration with local governments, customers, suppliers, and channel partners. By May 2020, all of our branches had reopened and we were shipping record numbers of elevators and escalators. A combination of sound strategy, strong execution, and a great team proved to be successful in outperforming the market. In the maintenance market, we expect continued double-digit growth for the foreseeable future. We are leveraging digital solutions to capture more opportunities. Progress in condition-based maintenance regulations will also help strengthen our position. However, the maintenance market will continue to be very fragmented and vulnerable to pricing competition. Looking at modernization, it is still a small part of our overall business here. However, with a total installed base of more than 7 million units, China modernization is a huge and growing opportunity. As Kone China's installed base of more than 1 million units is relatively young, our opportunity is to capture projects from both Kone and non-Kone brands. We expect to continue growing our China mod business at more than 30% a year. We are more focused than ever on winning in the China market. Kone's strategic priorities remain the same. One, Win with our customers, improve our added value to them. Two, leverage our scale and operational competitiveness, including our dual brand strategy with Giant Coney. Three, capture high growth service and modernization segments. And four, continue to attract the best talent to grow and expand our business. In closing, I'd like to express my appreciation to all of our Coney China employees for their commitment and dedication through this challenging year. They are heroes. I believe Coney China has come out of this crisis stronger than ever, and we look forward to capturing even more opportunities in the future.
2: So I hope you also felt that that was interesting and brought some new perspectives throughout our geographies, and lastly from China. Before we go into questions, let me wrap up. While we know that the economic environment is likely to be very challenging over the coming years, we continue to see great opportunities in this industry. This is a truly great industry to be in and find opportunities. We think in the coming years, that we're going to find exciting growth opportunities by being the best partner for our customers in smart and sustainable cities. We think that this is really a growing area, both in new buildings, in modernizing them as well as maintaining them. We expect that the services market will continue to grow in all parts of the world. So that's an area where we will continue to drive significant differentiation to capture growth. And of course, as we could just hear throughout Asia Pacific, there continues to be fantastic growth opportunities in services. We will also drive growth by continuing to develop our core offering to make sure that we have the strongest offering in the market that really suits our customers' needs and help them succeed in their business. And on top of that, we're building further value-adding solutions that actually is an opportunity for additional growth and additional revenues, as we have done, for example, 24-7 connected services and what we are starting to do now with our DX class elevators. So we expect that there continues to be great opportunities also going forward. This is just a glimpse into what we are planning from next year onwards, once this current strategy phase is over and we start our next one. You will hear more about this early next year. But with this, we now have good time for some of your questions that now are from online. So Sanna, if you join me here.
1: Thank you, Henrik. If you have more questions you can keep submitting them. Uh, We will have now 15 minutes for questions for Henrik and we can then take more at the end of the event. Uh, There seem to be several questions on kind of the customer segments and and the mix and how it impacts us and maybe good to start with the big picture. Mm. There's a question on the residential exposure that we have. How is it different in new equipment business compared to services?
2: If we look at new equipment and services, and then I look in services, both maintenance and modernization, then the residential exposure is higher in new equipment. And that is, of course, because of China. As you could see from all of the uh, pie charts from the various area directors, it was clearly was the highest in China, and that's, of course a very big part of our new equipment business. But then if I look at between uh, so services overall, is uh, less than 50%. But if we get maintenance compared to modernization, again, in maintenance, it's higher than it's in modernization. Mm. So we can say that the highest exposure, new equipment, then in maintenance, and then in modernization to residential.
1: As a follow up to that, there's a couple of questions on, on kind of the impact of the customer segment exposures on profitability mm-hmm. and whether the shift perhaps towards more residential will impact profitability. And there's a China specific question on this, but more a more
2: general one as well. Uh, not really. I would say that uh, in most places there is not a huge difference uh, between the profitability between these different segments. So it, uh, that's not a big driver.
1: Good. Then a couple of questions on on China and the China outlook. And I, I guess we just upgraded the market outlook for China. So in that sense, things are looking good at the moment. And then Bill talked about the restrictions getting getting mm. tighter. And and here's, first of all, a question on Nova. Could you please talk a little bit more what these restrictions mean for you? And maybe we'll start with that.
2: Well, there are various types of restrictions, uh, as Bill talked about we have the restrictions on developers and their ability to uh, take on further debt. So that, of course, uh, means that they have more difficulties to access financing. And uh, clearly, there can be some pressure on payment terms. But as you've seen from our cash flow, that has, has not been a problem for us. Uh, and then there are a lot of restrictions on people buying the apartments. So I think that the big uh, the biggest impact is, of course, the overall demand for housing or real estate in general, and therefore the demand for elevators and escalators for those. Mm. So it's more that way it comes rather than a direct impact on corner. On mm.
1: And linked to this, uh, why are we more cautious on the second half outlook in China versus the being more positive, I guess, for the coming quarters?
2: Of course, we always have more visibility in, in, into the coming quarters. And, uh, you know, as Bill talked about it, you could hear that uh, currently, the momentum is good, and we expect that to uh, continue for the uh, coming quarters. Clearly, we have slightly less visibility further, uh, f- when we look further out. And at the same time, we can see quite a lot of restrictions, and we expect that maybe those restrictions have a bigger impact than later in, in, in the coming year. Hmm. But I would say, it's, uh, as we all know, the Chinese market is very dynamic. And to have a clear prediction uh, at this point of next year is a bit too early.
1: Right. Uh, Then I guess shifting gear a bit to services, starting from China. Um, Here's a question on, do you want to increase your China exposure further from already high levels by acquiring Chinese service companies and distributors?
2: you know, as we talked uh, in the past as well, is that uh, at the moment our uh, growth strategy is primarily an organic one, uh, and I think that that makes sense. You know, uh, at Cone, the way we have achieved results is being quite focused on something, and we want to at this phase still be very focused on organic growth because there's plenty of it. There are plenty of, I mean, we install more new elevators in China than anyone else. So capturing that base, and then there is a huge base of Kone and giant Kone elevators out in the market that we can, of course, recapture. So that is our primary focus. Uh, maybe in the coming years we start to look at acquisitions as well, but that's not the most relevant point right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, continuing on the, on the same topic, uh, there's a question on, on how the regulation and the regulator is piloting a new way to regulate the, the Chinese maintenance mm. market. And there's now a pilot going on in Shanghai. And there's a question on why is konen not on the list of, of the trial OEMs? My understanding is that we are.
2: <laughs> we, we, we are on the, so, of so those uh, companies that were announced in two different phases and we are definitely included there. Shanghai is not the only one. There's been many other ones. And, we have been uh, involved in a vast majority of these so we're definitely involved in the shanghai one as well we were not part of the first announcement but but further on so i think we are quite well positioned there as well
1: correct um then i guess services more more globally here's a more short-term oriented question on have we seen any changes in in the scope or pricing of of maintenance contract when they come for renewal and especially for the non-residential segments?
2: Nothing major. Maybe in some more harder hit segments in the United States, you have a major, slightly de-scoping of contracts. But, you know, that's not in the end a huge difference. That uh, In some cases, you have a more comprehensive, then everything is included. Uh, then if it's de-scoped, then more will be discretion repairs. So there there has been some changes, but nothing Uh, significant. Hmm.
1: Uh, Service differentiation. How would you rank Kone's current level of differentiation in in services compared to the best in class in in other service industries outside of elevators? So can we differentiate?
2: I think we can. And and as I mentioned that it all starts from people, Uh, you know, what we can see from our own surveys, is that we have a very engaged and motivated workforce. Uh, And that is, to me, the most important thing, because when you have engaged and motivated employees, they will serve your customers well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also believe that we are showing the way in terms of innovation, in terms of new types of services to our customers. So uh, I think we're making progress. But also, I think you have to say that, uh, you know, why did we start investing so much in services back in 2014-15? Well, simply that when we looked at the sector more critically, we realized actually there was very little differentiation there. Maintenance business doesn't move very quickly, but I think we made some determined and good steps here. Uh, but I think we have a lot still to be done, but I think we are on a good path here.
1: Good. Um... Seems like you're more focused across various regions on capturing services from other manufacturers. What protects you from them also trying to capture more service on your own installed base? What is the barrier to entry?
2: I wouldn't say that we are more focused on capturing uh, third party equipment than uh, you know from others. We've always been active and want to win more services, mm. both of course converting what we installed, winning Con equipment that is out in the market and also third party. I don't think that that has changed. Uh, it is a competitive sector. Uh, we know that it's very fragmented. Uh, the biggest service market in monetary value is Europe, actually by quite uh, far uh, the largest still. And we have to remember that the top four players are only a little bit over 50% of the market. So that has continued. But we believe that by further differentiating we have an opportunity to continue to grow, and we have a good growth track record. But we often say that uh, many of the uh, small local players are very competitive and and have a purpose in the local market. And we need to just continue to develop it to compete successfully against them and our bigger competitors.
1: Mm. Uh, Shifting gears towards the sustainability topic, and, and I guess our sustainability pledge as well. How much does an, average on, uh, an elevator, on average, consume in, of the electricity in a building? And related to this, what kind of opportunities do we see in the Green Deal? Is there an opportunity for us?
2: Well, first of all, the mountain uh, elevators an uh, elevators energy consumption varies a lot. So uh, old elevators uh, that are actively used in a building can be 10% of the energy consumption, even sometimes more. A modern elevator in residential building is not used very actively, just a few percent. But that's what we see is that really it's the old equipment that actually are consuming a lot. And there's a big reduction possibility when you modernize. That's why we think that uh, elevators also play a role in the uh, Green New Deal in uh, in Europe. Uh, Details are not out there yet. But I think that everything that contributes to make these buildings more energy efficient and more sustainable uh, is definitely uh, going to be on the agenda. But it's not only about energy consumption. Of course, it's also about accessibility. Uh, it's about materials, healthy materials and so forth. So there are so many aspects to this that I think uh, it is going to be, and it is a, a big possibility for us.
1: Good. I guess time for a couple more questions. Let's see. There's, there's quite a few. Maybe we'll leave, leave some to the end. Um, U.S. related question. What is the share of U.S. of the total North America sales and the country's share of, of the maintenance base as well?
2: So uh, United States is clearly the vast majority of, uh, uh, of North America because the others are uh, Canada and Mexico and they're, they're clearly smaller. Uh, so that's more than two-thirds of our business, ac- actually more than that. Uh, and maintenance is uh, roughly 40% of the revenues there mm. um, and a yeah, good and solid business.
1: Mm, and I guess you as the bulk of the maintenance base as well in, in that region. Absolutely, yes. Uh, market share related questions. Have we strengthened our, our position in, in escalators? And, and what is our position? Are we the market leader in in escalators in, in China and globally today?
2: We are not the market leader in escalators today, but uh, if I look at the past couple of years, we've clearly gained market share there. Uh, we have clearly improved our competitiveness in escalators and mm. particularly now in escalators for metros, railways, and so forth, so for infrastructure. So we're actually in quite a good position there, and we made a, I would say, quite a big improvement in the past uh, few years on that in that area.
1: Mm. What about the market share overall? Uh, We've been doing well in in China guess compared to the market. So who are we taking market share from?
2: I believe in in China, it's particularly uh, smaller and mid-sized players that have been losing out given the consolidation of the customer base and and the bigger players have been better placed to serve them. So I think it's principally uh, small and mid-sized, but I I can't point out exactly from from whom. general, we have mm. grown faster in the market and gained share there.
1: Hmm. Let's see. Yeah, on, on, on the guidance, you upgraded the guidance last week. What was the trigger for that? The
2: well, trigger for that is that the development in Q3 has been better than we had expected when we uh, announced our Q2 results. Uh, both China has been even stronger than we thought. We thought it was going to be very robust and good, but it's been even better. But also the momentum in maintenance has improved. So while maintenance is clearly not back to normal, we've seen an improvement there. So it's not only only China, it's actually Europe and North America also uh, have performed better than we expected.
1: Hmm. Um, Personnel related question. Have we had to lay off people due to the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: So, we, as I mentioned, that, uh, one of the core principles that we set early on is that uh, uh, cost is not our principal objective, that it's actually health, safety, and, and then before we have actually had people on, on temporary leave and so forth, we wanted to train them. And our policy has not to be, to, we, we have not wanted to dismiss anyone because of the crisis. So that has been very strong policy for us and our objective has been to keep our people employed. Yes, we have then, they've taken some of their holidays, if they have untaken holidays. Or in many countries, we've gone to negative work banks. But that way, kept CONES employees uh, paid all the time. And uh, as I mentioned that the first objective has been to train them, which I think has worked very nicely. So uh, that's how we have wanted to make sure that uh, we take our responsibility also in this tough time.
1: Mm. Then there's a uh, net promoter score related question. Well, what is the absolute level? I guess we haven't been. <laughs> we, we haven't disclosed <laughs> the
2: absolute level mm-hmm. uh, and it varies quite a lot business to business and geography to geography. We can see that you have to usually look at them in, 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 in regional context. So we haven't shown the total one, but we are at a quite a good level, I would say.
1: Mm. Maybe then the final question that, that could be a good segue to, to the next topics. Do you think the new technological developments uh, raise the hurdle for small competitors?
2: You know, I think that there will definitely be a platform for smaller competitors as well, for for example, in the maintenance side. But I think what is the really key here is, as I mentioned with our 24-7 connected services, is that for that type of a service to actually work and to be valuable, you need to have enough units connected. It's not enough that you have a thousand units connected. It's not enough that you have 2000 units connected. And many of the small players we see here actually have hundreds. Not th- mm. So for you to learn and to create value, you need more of the data and insight. And the more of the insight you have, the more you can create value. Uh, so I think that uh, the bigger players have an advantage here. Having said that. We all know that this industry has a lot of small residential customers. So the small players will be there. They will have a purpose and we will be competing against them every day. Mm. But they will be slightly different probably the, the environment, how we compete against them.
1: Mm. Thank you, Henrik. Thank you. We will have more time for questions for Henrik as well. At the end of the event, because it's now time for a 10 minute break. So we'll be back shortly. Welcome back from the break. For the next section, we have two presenters. Our chief technology officer, Majek Krunch, who joined the company roughly a year ago and has a strong background in digital transformations and is now looking at the opportunities we are facing with fresh eyes. We also have our former chief technology officer, Tomio Pihkala, who is now heading the new equipment business and bringing these innovations to life there. So Majek will first talk about the evolution of Kone's innovation approach and Tomio will then focus on the new equipment business. Majek, the floor is yours.
8: Thank you so much, Sanna. Good afternoon. Good morning, everybody. Um, As uh, Sanna mentioned um, over the next uh, couple of minutes, let's talk about our approach to um, innovation. Uh, Just to set things in context, um, uh, our innovation is driven by a couple of uh, key principles. One is our mission to improve the flow of urban life, as well as the mega trends that uh, Henrik discussed already. So urbanization, sustainability, and technology. And the way we are directing our innovation efforts is uh, to focus on addressing um, everyday problems that people face, uh, moving in buildings, moving in districts, moving in cities. And some of these problems we can actually address ourselves uh, with our capabilities, our technologies. Um, but increasingly, uh, we actually also reaching out to our partners um, uh, and partnering with uh, city ecosystems, co-creating with customers, co-creating with our partners as well. So when you think about um, uh, innovation, we're actually very proud of our 110 history of, uh, of innovativeness and um, uh, coming to market with uh, Um, with um, amazing innovations and uh, market changing innovations. Some examples, motor space elevators or uh, ultra rope uh, were some of these innovations um, in uh, uh, recent uh, history. And then, building on this innovation uh, history, in 2016, we made a bold decision to create Kona Technology and Innovation Organization, to pull under the one umbrella all of our technology activities um, in terms of um, um, research and development in our core uh, offerings or physical capabilities, research and development in, um, um, in services, in solutions, in uh, digital capabilities, IT capabilities, as well as uh, technology innovation. And to put things in context, um, at that time, a couple of years ago, uh, most of the uh, industrial players were pursuing sort of a digital uh, capabilities um, that were separate from mainstream, often led by chief digital officers. So we've taken a different path. We've taken an integrated path. We integrated physical and digital capabilities. As a result of that, we were able to um, uh, start coming out with uh, physical and digital solutions that Henrik talked about. By using digital um, tools and uh, new ways of working, the agile capabilities, we're also able to reduce our time to market uh, for our innovation uh, capabilities and innovation um, offerings by up to 40%. And also, we've engaged with um, roughly 1,300 of our customers on co-creation activities. So now that we've built this physical and digital foundation, we're moving forward. We're moving forward and accelerating and scaling both our offerings as well as our capabilities. We're building physical, physical and digital native organization. And of course, as you can expect, um, we are bringing all the, the new digital capabilities to the company. When you think about um, data science and analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, um, internet of things, uh, cybersecurity, user um, uh, interfaces, and uh, user experience. Um, all the uh, kind of new capabilities coming into play here. But we also spending a lot of um, our effort on uh, um, evolving uh, skills of our existing workforce to make sure that um, our engineers can evolve to become physical and digital natives. Building on the customer um, co-creation experiences of the last few years, we are also expanding and integrating our co uh, creation capabilities with our customers. We are in the process of uh, rolling out um, the network of uh, our co creation labs, we call them um, uh, Works, uh, where we co create with our customers, we co create with our partners, from the uh, sort of a business problem statement all the way to a scalable solution. And lastly, we are integrating partner capabilities natively into our roadmaps as well. So focus on physical and digital integration. In addition to that, we also are balancing our local and global capabilities. If you look at the map here, um, we uh, actually have uh, seven R&D locations and many more IT operations. And uh, we've actually chosen these locations very carefully uh, using three criteria. The first one was, of course, um, access and proximity to our customers and partners so we can co-create with customers and partners. Secondly, of course, access to talent and to the right skills. And thirdly, um, also proximity to our supply chain and to um, uh, our factories as well. And these R&D units work as a network, uh, focusing on driving our global uh, roadmap, but also on local capabilities. Let me give you an example of our China operations in, uh, in Kunshan, next to Shanghai. Uh, this team is focusing on. Um, what we call a China for China, so uh, co creating solutions with our customers and partners um, to make sure that we address their requirements in China. They also take our global roadmap and uh, evolve it to meet the needs of uh, our, cu- our customers in China. But the same team also focuses on, um, what the, on the work what we call in China for the rest of the world. For example, our escalator development is uh, conducted um, in our uh, China R&D facility as well. So we've talked about physical and digital, and we've talked about local and, uh, and global. So now let's talk about areas of focus. And In a nutshell, we're focusing on two uh, key thrusts here. Uh, from the innovation perspective. First on strengthening our core, and second, creating new revenue opportunities. When you think about strengthening the core, over the last few years, we've gone through the major transition. And uh, if you look at the the, the blue side of the slide here, uh, we've moved from our core being physical to now our core being physical and digital. Connect DX, Connect 24-7 Connected Services, are good examples of our core being physical digital. In addition, these capabilities also are becoming platforms, um, capabilities that we can build on top of as well. So in addition to uh, establishing our digital and physical platforms, of course, as you can expect, we've been also working on... Uh, Optimization of our portfolio, Monospace 300 is a good example uh, of an elevator offering targeting uh, l- uh, low-rise buildings. So the second area of focus has been around creating new revenue opportunities. And the immediate uh, revenue opportunity, and uh, uh, and Henrik talked about it uh, as well, is to build capabilities on top of our platforms. Henrik mentioned 24/7 Planner is a great idea, a great example of. Um, extending our our 24-7 capabilities by working very closely with our customers, listening to their needs, and responding with uh, uh, extended capabilities. Residential flow is another example where we've created um, contact-free and sort of uh, interaction-free capability for residents and visitors in the building to move around the building. And we plan to continue to focus on these types of capabilities building on top of our platforms. And then last but not least, we're expanding into new opportunities. Two areas of focus, one, ecosystems. We've been talking about it already as well, Um, focusing on two uh, opportunities. One is to integrate offerings from our partners into our solution capabilities and bringing these combined capabilities into our uh, customers, our existing buying centers. And the second area that we are starting to uh, look into as well, which is um, integrating our capabilities into our partner's solutions. And um, our, solution, our partners taking these combined solutions to their customers and to potentially new buying centers. And then outcome-based business uh, models. This is the area that increasingly our customers are actually exploring, and we are exploring with them. It's still early, but we think this is a very uh, potent and interesting opportunity for us as well. So um, I've mentioned a lot uh, physical and digital platforms. And as you see here on the slide at the bottom, connected equipment is uh, highlighted. And we've been talking about the strategic importance of uh, us connecting our equip- equipment. Why? Two reasons. One is that. Um, By connecting our equipment then on behalf of our customers and for our customers, we can pull the data out of this equipment we can analyze the data. We can look at the insights and use the insights as solutions to uh, our customers' problems. The reverse flow is also true. Uh, By connecting our equipment, we can start creating plug and play digital and physical, physical and digital capabilities. Like for example, in our uh, DX class elevators. And and the third capability is APIs, um, application programming interfaces. These are the gateways for us to integrate with our customer systems, uh, as well as um, with our partner uh, capabilities uh, to create joint solutions. We've given a lot of thought to this physical and digital platform uh, capabilities, how we architect it, how we scale it, how we make it flexible. And the reason for it is that that, uh, these digital and physical platforms then allow us to d- create and to deliver new value added solutions at speed and at scale. One example of these kind of capabilities, and Henrik mentioned it already, is uh, health and well-being uh, solutions. We've actually introduced um, sort an of initial wave of these offerings shortly after a uh, uh, pandemic uh, uh, hit us. And the primary reason we were able to be so fast is because of the uh, platform capabilities that we had. So let's look at this example of health and well-being in a bit more detail. Here is sort of a list of uh, uh, problem statements that uh, our customers would typically come to us um, before COVID. So examples would be, uh, all right, I uh, have a, um, let's say, um, um, a a lot of congestion in the lobby or um, Uh, I'm getting some bottlenecks because of uh, meetings or conventions. Um, I would like to offer a fast lane capability for daily users while offering sort of easy uh, access for uh, visitors. And these were the problems that we were working with our customers, So we continue to work with our customers to solve those. But then obviously over the last few months, we uh, started facing sort of a different challenge. How do we enable people um, uh, to move, let's say, from a parking uh, lot to a COVID optimized office in a safe and timely manner. And there are some couple of other co- uh, problem statements uh, here. Um, how do we make sure that uh, they can move around the building in sort of a contact-free way? How do we make sure that um, um, the surfaces people touch are either uh, sort of um, um, uh, are microbial-free or have been uh, um, uh, decontaminated? Um, how do we make sure that the people can follow uh, physical distancing rules? And we, we took this sort of a problem statement and we pulled existing capabilities that we already had at Kona. We've added a few new ones as well. Um, and then we pulled them all together uh, through um, PeopleFlow um, planning and consulting capabilities and designed these uh, experiences with our customers and for our customers. But there's more. By using the API capabilities, we were also integra- able to integrate um, our partner capabilities into these solutions, like robotics or, um, or smart locks. And Tomia will talk about uh, those in a moment. Uh, but hopefully you see the picture here. It's starting with a customer problem, then uh, figuring out how do we design this kind of uh, experience together, and then what capabilities we can use that we have in Kona, as well as what capabilities we can uh, integrate uh, with our partners as well. And this is, be- <coughs> this is basically what the, um, what the world will look like, um, and this is where, we, where we're going. In a way, we are already transitioning from being best-in-class product and services company uh, to becoming best-in-class product services and solutions company. In the process, we are redefining our engagements with our customers from sort of a, um, uh, I would say, pointed uh, uh, engagements around um, a new equipment or um, modernization or um, a maintenance into a 360 continuous engagement where we uh, actually work with our customers to um, uh, design and, um, and sort of optimize their experiences and experiences of their customers. And these experiences can evolve as building uses change, as the uh, businesses of our customers change as well. And in the process, we are um, establishing much more strategic relationships with our customers. We engage much earlier in the sales cycle. In addition to uh, sort of evolving our customer relationships, we're also evolving our internal capabilities by giving uh, data the right data in the right place in the right time to our own frontline operations, and our sales teams, uh, so they can optimize, um, increase our productivity, but also sort of um, uh, serve our customers better. So in summary by combining physical and digital capabilities, uh, local and global capabilities, by integrating our partner ecosystems and co-innovating with customers at scale. We are designing solutions that allow people to move in buildings, in districts, in cities, with smiles on their faces. All right, thank you so much. And uh, now let me invite um, uh, Tomio. Uh, You can join me here, so you guys are getting a. Two CTOs for the price of one. Um, so, Tomio, you and I have been uh, actually working a lot, and I really appreciate your, your help over the last year, not only because of uh, your current role uh, driving our new equipment business, but also because uh, you actually drove Connect um, Technology and Innovation Organization for a couple of years. Uh, so, maybe a quick question before you start uh, your section. Um, you've been there uh, since the beginning of KTI, and um, what are some of the biggest changes that you've noticed uh, that happened um, in our approach to innovation in the last couple of years? Mm. Thank you, Majek, for the good question.
9: Um, I would say um, it's all in all the change in the innovation culture. And, um, you know, we have seen uh, more people innovating. So it used to be kind of a very limited group of people who had a license to innovate. Um, and then, second aspect is actually about customer co-creation and customer aspect. You know, I was uh, kind of positively shocked when I saw some of the hardcore R&D engineers in the laboratory starting to talk about customer value <laughs> and uh, customer co-creation and really get excited about it. So I think then I noticed that, hey, there's something going on here.
8: There's a change. So. Yeah, and I think in some ways it's also great that um, uh, our people are open to change. Right? Yeah. That, um that they can shift from sort of thinking technology to thinking customer problem. Absolutely.
9: I have a question to you.
8: Oh, so, okay.
9: <laughs> we don't, you have been now working more than one year uh-huh. in Kone. And it, it has been a pleasure to work with you. Um, but you know, when you came to Kone, what was the biggest surprise, or let's say, uh, in terms of
8: innovation culture? What did you, did you didn't expect uh, when you came? Maybe I can give you. I'm not sure I can find sort of one, but I can maybe give you a, a longer, a bit longer answer. That you know, the the reason I was so excited about joining Kona, because uh, um, we uh, uh, I was excited about, about uh, our approach to transforming ourselves, our business, our culture, as well as transforming the industry, um, and it turned out to be absolutely true. Um, the second reason was people. Um, it was really easy for me to get integrated in the company, and uh, not only us working together, but us working broadly with, uh, with uh, our Con colleagues. And, and also in, in KTI, I think it's been great to see how open people are, as you mentioned, to sort of evolve their, their skills and um, adopt new ways of working. Maybe one, one thing that surprised me, and is actually a big kudos to you and uh, to the KTI team, is that um, when I came here, I thought I would be building, creating a, a lot of new capabilities. Um, and instead, you've actually built this foundation that we talked about earlier, right? And um, so now my job is much more into evolution and scaling than building. And it's actually a great place to be. And on a personal note, I have to say, I've had fun, lots of fun over the last year. So. Thank you, Majek. Thank you, Tommy. I think it's this one, right? Uh, let's yeah. I think so, yes. This one. Very good.
9: Well, um, Majak had an exciting presentation, and he talked about uh, how we have been able to increase the new services and solutions in digital space. And, uh, you know, this change has been very rapid, and it has become really our core part of our offering. And I would claim that uh, we are leading uh, in terms of uh, how we are able to scale new digital solutions and services. And... uh, and also, how we have been able to create the commercial success. This one, yes. So, in my presentation, I would like to talk more about how we are really applying these new digital solutions and services in new equipment business. I will talk specifically about DX class elevators, which uh, Hendrik already mentioned earlier. And in the second part of my presentation, I would like to talk about the foundation of our competitiveness. Without, we would we not be global leader. It was November 29, 2019, to be exact. That was the day which started the new chapter in Kone. Kone launched the DX class elevators in Europe. So, what is this new chapter? Well, elevator is no longer just elevator but it is becoming platform. And with this platform, we can create new outcome based business. We can enable us to uh, increase the share of customer wallet. This is a big bet for us as we are replacing all our existing elevator volume offering with the DX class elevators. So what is DX really? DX has three value propositions. Number one, it has built in connectivity. It means that there are are unlimited possibilities to upgrade people flow experience during the lifecycle of the building. And this is done by using application programming interfaces, an entire partnership ecosystem we are building around DX. (coughs) Number two. We are completely reimagining and redefining the user experience by using digital elements and physical elements, combining them together and creating multi-sensorial user experience. This design has so far received outstanding five Red Dot awards. Number three, partner for smarter buildings. We have been introducing a series of new digital tools to help our customers to plan and design new buildings. We were a bit lucky here because we introduced these self-service digital tools for our customers just before COVID hit the market. So we saw a big spike of users starting to use our car designers, our planner tools, and, uh, and you know we have seen that not only our products are now becoming digital, but also the way how we are selling and how we are interacting with the customers is becoming more digital. As mentioned earlier, DX class elevators act as a digital platform for various services. And we can connect these services by using application programming interfaces. We have four type of APIs we are offering for the external users. Elevator call, service robot, equipment status, and service info. Then we have three service categories we are offering to our customers. First of all, Kone's own solutions, like 24-7 connected services or Kone residential flow. Or we have so-called third-party services, so partner solutions, whether they are global or local partners in different parts of the world. Then we have a third category, so-called customer's own applications. So these are the customer's own digital solutions we are able to adapt by using API interfaces in the smart buildings. The beauty of DX Class Elevator is that every single service will make Elevator more valuable for customer and every single service will make buildings smarter. We believe in an open ecosystem where we can bring win-win relationship between customers, partners and corner. We are building app store of the industry where different partners are creating new services and solutions for different segments, for different geographies, for different customer needs. So here I have a few examples. We are working in the access control area with the company called iLock. With iLock's smart lock solutions, we can create a seamless user experience in residential buildings. All the way from the main entrance to your personal floor and your personal door. In commercial buildings, we are, uh, for example, in uh, office, uh, h- hotels, we see more and more customers actually applying delivery robots to do different kind of things like uh, room service. And here we are partnering with companies like Saviok and Robotize. Finally, I, will, I also want to mention the company called Blind Square. This company is doing a really great job to make life of uh, uh, blind and visually impaired people easier uh, and also how they move in the cities and in the buildings. So this leading global leading application for the blind and visually impaired people are now, uh, can also call con Elevators. I have to say that the DX has really received well among our customers so far. This story about DX is resonating well. In uncertain world we are living. Our customers are continuously looking how they can actually adapt to the new situation, to the new normal. For example, by uh, creating touchless uh, elevator journey. And here DX will come to the picture. We can offer that adaptability. In residential segments, the customers are appreciating safety and reliability. And here we are offering solutions like 24-7 connected services or antibacterial wall panels to improve the hygiene. Of the, uh, of the car. So we have a very different needs in different segments. And the beauty of DX class elevator is that you can truly must customize uh, the elevators to the different uh, individual needs. And more we have this customer project with the DX in each country, more we can demonstrate the value of DX for the wider audience. We have had a really encouraging start with the DX. I would say it has been one of the fastest product launches I have seen personally in Connect Career. We have already reached 80% tendering activity in EMEA area. There are many countries which are already 100% tendering and ordering uh, DX class elevators, replacing existing elevators. We have also seen positive impact on margins. In addition, we are also now upselling and additionally selling new services on top of the elevators. So our plan is to now expand DX to cover new markets and new geographies step by step. And our goal is to reach and cover the majority of the market by 2021. DX Class Elevator will replace all our elevator offering and being competitive in affordable housing, all the way to the high-end uh, commercial segments. While we are excited about DX and how it has been received by customers, we are fully aware what is our foundation of competitiveness in New York in business. Kone is reliable and trustworthy partner. We deliver customer promise, and it is all about execution capability and efficient delivery chain in other words supply chain and installation so let me introduce our recent progress in our operational excellence focusing on delivery chain safety quality and sustainability these are essential in everything we do there's no shortcut here it requires continuous improvement mindset. In safety area, we have been able to decrease our industry incident failure rate in supply line by 24% in the past years. In fact, there are many factories which have been operating in zero level for many, many years. And this is thanks to the consistent safety culture development. However, We are fully aware that there's a lot to improve as an industry in the area of safety. It continues to be our high priority area. In the area of quality, we have also seen very positive progress. Early failure rate, which is one of our key quality metrics, has been improving 32% in this period. And this is thanks to the more robust R&D process, investment in supply quality management and also consistent competence development in the area of lean and Six Sigma particularly. Then about CO2 footprint. Here we have been uh, consistently improving our CO2 emission per sales in the past few years, 31% in this period. However, we are going to set much higher bar in this respect. Henrik already talked about it. In terms of supply line, we are setting the goal to be carbon neutral supply line by end of 2024. As uh, our delivery volumes have been growing in the past few years, we have been able to leverage uh, fixed costs by improving productivity in our supply units. So we have seen 27% improvement in this respect. Our customers are continuously pushing us to improve our delivery times and lead times and also responsiveness in project execution. This is particularly true in China. You know, in normal cases, delivery times are measured in months, but we have also capability to have much faster deliveries. In China, we are leading the industry by providing broad capability to provide elevators just in seven days for the most important customers. Efficient installation is hugely important part of our competitiveness. In fact, in China, we are a lead, clear leader in terms of installation efficiency. But we do have also challenges. There is an increase in challenging labor availability, subcontractors. There's a shortage here. And this is why we have been investing many years in installation-friendly products. Ken already talked about that in his video. For example, in Europe and in North America, where the labor costs are high, we have been reducing standard installation time for the volume elevators. In case of Monospace 500DX, we have been able to reduce the installation hours by 14%. But there are so much more opportunities to improve our operational excellence. Even if we are a global company with the global products and global supply chain, we do see a lot of uh, complexity in our product platforms, in our processes. And we can improve that by harmonization efforts. We also think that we can continue to expand our fast delivery capabilities. And of course, we will continue to drive installation productivity going forward. Then about COVID-19. COVID-19 was the toughest stress test for supply chain in our history. You know, we have been managing all kinds of crises, natural disasters, component shortages, but nothing like this magnitude. I have to say I'm really proud how we were able to restart the China operation in February and how we we have been able to keep production running in Europe during the most difficult period uh, when most of the other companies were shutting down operations. This was thanks to the strong focus in safe working practices and also strong local accountability. Our local teams were quickly reacting to the issues and proactively managing the business continuity challenges. But to be honest, there were many close calls. We have to move uh, production volumes suddenly to the different factories, to the different suppliers. But I have to say that our people did excellent work. There was, there was a lot of heroic actions by Kone people, by suppliers, and we were able to manage uh, the situation. However, we learned a lot we learned that there is a lot of opportunities to improve our robustness of our supply chain by harmonizing our processes, by harmonizing also our product platforms. COVID-19 was also causing big disruptions to the logistics. You know, this was caused by different lockdowns, different restrictions. And we had a situation where we have to explore new logistic routes or new distribution centers in extreme time pressure. So this experience reminded about the power of seamless collaboration between the functions, between supply line, logistics, sourcing, field operation. All in all, I have to say there has been lots of learnings which are going to be valuable in future. Personally, the past 255 days have been one of the longest days in my career. So it is time to summarize my presentation. Number one, we, are re- we had a really good start with the DX. We really feel good about it, how it will help us to differentiate in the future. We will focus on scaling and expanding DX quickly. Number two. COVID-19 has opened our eyes to see more opportunities to improve operational excellence, which is our foundation of our business success. With that, I would like to thank you for listening my story and I will go back, give back to Sanna.
1: Thank you, Tomio. Thank you, Marcek. Thank you. There's a lot of questions coming in. Let's see, maybe I'll start with Tommy or you, as as you had it going already. Um, Given a building takes a long time to build and design, how critical is it to be able to deliver an elevator to a customer within seven days? How much of a differentiating factor it is?
9: Yeah, I mean, typically, obviously, uh, there is a plenty of time, there are typically months of delivery times in normal cases, but there are situations where Due to the various reasons, customers needs to speed up their own project or they have had some sort of changes in the plan. This is quite normal in construction projects. In this situation, we provide this flexibility. And particularly the big developers in China, they have been appreciating this uh, capability. Uh, we are trying to expand that capability. It is also our competitiveness uh, in the market.
1: Then there's a question on differentiation, and I guess you could both take it from, from a bit different angles, but maybe Tommy, you first. There's a question that Otis is also shipping its new elevators with connected capabilities. How does to differentiate itself from key competitors, I suppose? Um, and uh, yeah, how can you keep your product differentiation lead when your new innovations are? visible to competitors through then yep. the
9: maintenance. OK, I will, I will start the magic. Yep. This is our favorite topic. <laughs> um, well, first of all, obviously, uh, connectivity is important, but that's, that's not itself uh, yet create the value for our customers. So obviously it's all about what kind of problems you are solving with the digital solutions and technologies and how you can really add value to the customers. And I think this is where we are trying to really uh, put our f- efforts and uh, and make it scalable. And um, we will continue to do so. Obviously data plays important role. How we can really uh, uh, use the data to create the new insights, how we can really help customers solve different problems. And this is going to be the thing we need to continue to improve. And more we have data, like Henrik mentioned, more we have opportunities to also innovate uh, uh, different new services.
8: You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, connectivity is just an enabler, right? And uh, we do expect everybody to, to do this. Um, but um, the key here is um, there, there are a couple of other sort of big trends that, uh, that I think we need to be paying attention to. One is our customers want to co-create with us. They want to co-create solutions with us, not just buy stuff from us, right? And, um, and the co-creation is, is tricky. It's not easy. And I think we've actually um, worked over the last couple of years how to make it um, um, sort of uh, addressing customer needs, but also scalable, mm-hmm. so not a bunch of one-offs. Second one is um, uh, speed of innovation, right? And speed of, speed of um, uh, responding to market changes and customer needs. And again, we sort of architected, as we talked about, not just the connectivity, but the overall platform. And thirdly, it's, um, it's a partner, um, partner ecosystem and integration as well. It takes literally a village to, to build solutions these days. And um, you've seen the example of uh, integration with our partners and um, and again, We've built it, um, uh, a system and capability and we can do it at scale as well. Mm. So it's about customer intimacy, it's about partner ecosystem and then it's about speed.
1: Mm. About the technologies and, and partnering, there's a question that you have not acquired any technology companies, I think ever, as <laughs> uh, it says here. Aren't you thinking of creating a corporate venture capital fund where you would buy stakes in several tech startups? It has worked well for many industrial companies in transitioning to digital industry leaders.
8: So, you know, I've worked with startups for 30 years, dozens of them. And, uh, of course, there are different ways that startups can get funding. But what what I think startups really look for is uh, for opportunities to partner and to go to market together, right? They're looking for ways for companies like us to create revenue opportunities for them. And that's basically what we're prioritizing is uh, um, we don't have to put money in the startup to work with a startup and to uh, develop a joint solution and take, take the joint solution to market.
1: Mm. And A little bit on, on the same topic, Tomio, here's a question that there uh, has been no ecosystem par- partners added since January. What could be the next ones?
9: Right. Well, we are working on and we are continuously expanding the, uh, the partnership ecosystem and uh, uh, you know, we will be announcing also some new, new partnership in the future. Yeah. Please so, please stay tuned. Please mm-hmm.
1: stay I guess we, we sound very excited about this physical and, and digital. And co- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, here, here's one, one question What does it mean in, in concrete terms that our innovation focus is on combining physical and digital offerings? What's changing? How is it different from what we have been doing sure. in the past years? Yeah, I can
8: start. Yep. You know, um, And we talked about technology, combining technology uh, uh, from a physical and and digital perspective. But this is just a starting point. Um, What we are working on is uh, basically blending the best of both worlds. So our understanding of the markets, of technology, of customer problems, and so forth. But then also integrating sort of digital ways of working. Uh, You look at internal startups. You look at uh, sort of culture changes in terms of um, fast fail, in terms of uh, accelerated sort of... uh, funnels of innovation. So um, what is exciting for us is uh, not only the outcomes, but also how we get there mm. and combining the best of the both worlds. And I think we be been pretty successful with yeah. it. Mm.
1: Do you think new technological developments uh, will be a hurdle for the small competitors? You
8: no, know, I think that uh, um, in general. Um, for me, uh, you know, if there is competition, means that, uh, that there are good things happening in the market. So, <laughs> in general, competition is good. Um, and, um, and I would expect that there will be some technologies that would, uh, that um, our small competitors will be exploiting as well. And I think we need to stay vigilant, but at the same time, from, from my perspective, and I, I may be sounding like a broken record here, but uh, um, I, I truly believe that what will be defining our industry in the next couple of years is co-creation with customers, focusing on uh, integrating solutions with uh, partner ecosystems and, um, and uh, sort of integration of best of both worlds, physical and digital, which mm-hmm. results in nimbleness and speed. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of our secret
9: sauce. I mean, I think Henrik already mentioned it, but I mean, even if I'm engineer, I would like to highlight the technology, but this is a people business. Uh, this is a people centric business where in the end of the day, you make a difference in, the, in the, how you serve customers. And that will continue to be the case in future.
8: Hmm
1: then on on the same sort of ecosystems and and partners isn't it the case that you need to make sure that you have connectivity with all of the large building management system providers? Is this currently the case, and do you have any preferred partners there
8: yeah and i think it, uh, it its a, it's a great question and uh, and the way we've been architecting our api strategy is to be basically b m s agnostic right mm-hmm. so um Whatever systems our customers uh, want us to connect with, uh, that whether they are homegrown or uh, driven by uh, uh, some of the bMS established players, we will in- we can integrate with them so and I, and I believe that's the right strategy for the market, which is that uh, we uh, we use technology as a means to uh, yeah. to uh, respond to customer needs
9: I think it's uh, it's very much about uh, providing mass customization capability for our customers because they choose different partners so you an know, IP strategy we talk about quite a lot, that is very much enabling that in many ways, uh, also for building management companies. Mm.
1: Tomio, then for you, when you say that DX class is going to replace all new product rollouts going forward, does it mean that uh, for all new products that Kone sells, it will be DX enabled? And will it make you less price competitive versus your peers? And, and then. Uh, there was a different question also that can, can we DXify old mm,
9: elevators? Yeah, that's an important question. So I highlighted also in my presentation that um, DX platform will be a very competitive platform, also competitive in affordable housing, but also uh, all the way, also in high-end segments. So it is a digital platform. And uh, we'll continue to have, uh, conserve the different type of customers uh, starting from low-end residential uh, where there maybe there's more more competitiveness. So uh, so there's no question about that. Um, yes, but we are replacing all our volume for ele- elevator offering and we believe that having that scale, that will that will also make the difference.
1: And we can do it also in modernizations, right? We can
9: do it. Yes. And that is something we are working on. I think it was mentioned by Henrik that uh, we have a capability now to also let's say dexify uh, existing con elevators in the in the service space
8: hmm.
1: then on on the kind of outcomes that that we want to provide to the customers what is the biggest priority is it the reducing downtime or or something else what is the value for customers that we're trying to provide
9: well i mean we have uh, half a million customers and they have very different type of needs so there's no one thing obviously so obviously, right now, of course, COVID-19 is creating a lot of uh, uh, questions uh, where we can also help. I think maybe, Maja, you can explain some of the things we are doing to help there.
8: Yeah, and I think that uh, Henrik mentioned that in some way, we find ourselves a little bit in, a, in, a, in the eye of a storm now, where um, customers are coming to us a lot, asking sort of these basic questions, which is, how do I ensure uh, safe and timely people flow? And we started from here, right? Uh, but at the same time, uh, and again, um, if I look at this, is um, we have different segments of customers with uh, different needs, and um, and uh, what, we, what we're focusing on is having a flexible enough technology architecture that we can address these ne- different needs, and also in different ways, including different uh, different business models.
1: Mm. Then there was a question on, on disruption and what kind of risks risks we see. So, would you highlight anything? What are the things we are watching out for?
8: Yeah, I think that. Um, Definitely, the the pace of change is accelerating, and uh, we're watching it very carefully. Uh, definitely, move towards um, uh, solutions is one of them. All right, mm-hmm. and uh, which is why we're pursuing um, a sort of a, a partnering strategy. Um, uh, the need to be nimble and need to be uh, uh, fast in responding to markets is is really really critical. So um, we cannot take years to decide what we do. It takes. Uh, weeks and months to respond and to, um, and to anticipate uh, the, the needs of the market. And, and thirdly is uh, flexibility. It's flexibility from the technology perspective, also from the business model perspective. Mm. Yeah. So I we're ready.
9: I think the technology disruption as a such as a mega trend or trend is a very positive trend for us. Mm. Of course, you need to really capture that. You know, and yep. I think we have been do that uh, with our new g Star solution services. We'll continue to do so.
8: You know, maybe from the technology perspective, um, you know, if you look at the technology stack, um, uh, we definitely are, are shifting, shifting more and more focus uh, in our activities into um, uh, analytics, into analyzing the data, into getting insights from the data, integrating these insights into solutions as well. So moving up from um, connectivity and sort of uh, capturing the data into analyzing the data.
1: Hmm. Yeah, then there's a couple of questions on the, the absolute levels of, of the change uh, numbers that, that you ch- showed there. But unfortunately, those are not, not numbers that that we are disclosing. Um, one more question. Let's see, there's a lot of these and, w- and we can take more questions after Ilka's presentation. Uh, what is the pricing impact of DX class elevators, why, why is mm. it positive for, for the margins in practice? Yeah. What is it that makes customers want to pay more for it?
9: Yes, so I already mentioned in my presentation that we have had a positive margin impact uh, and in terms of pricing, it has been progressing well and uh, obviously, um, you know, customers really appreciate the value of uh, future-proofness, for example. Okay. And, you know, that is, a, that is a big value and they are wi- 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 willing to pay for that. Uh, But then I think the second element of uh, also uh, pricing is that we are selling these additional services and solutions. So that's, I think, where obviously, as as I say that there's actually unlimited possibilities, you know, more we actually capture some of the and understand customer problems, we can actually uh, even more than uh, sell on top of the elevator.
10: Mm.
9: So,
8: you know, I've been involved in a lot of uh, customer meetings lately and uh, so the recurring uh, theme is exactly what, uh, Tommy you mentioned, which is now that we, we uh, get our equipment connected, what can we do, right? And, uh, um, and this sort of a visioning, uh, I think, is, is a very powerful uh, engagement model as well. Because you know, customers facing huge challenges every day in terms of prop- uh, profitability and uh, of business models and so forth. And now we can actually engage in this conversation because we have means to help them solve these.
1: Excellent. Very interesting. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time for the last presentation. And it will be by our CFO Ilka Hara. So Ilka will summarise, synthesize a little bit what you've heard in the previous presentations and explain why these things are relevant for us uh, from the point of view of our financial targets. Ilka, please.
11: Thank you, Sanna, and also a warm welcome on my behalf to this uh, 2020 Capital Markets Day for Kone. I'll talk today about uh, what we've heard today, summarizing it into a financial context and how that helps us to work towards our financial targets. And at the end of this session, uh, my session, you have a chance to do Q&A with all of the today's presenters, so stay tuned for that as well. But I'll start first. Just a reminder, I think this is something which is familiar to to, um, most of you. And Henrik already talked about our strategic targets and how we progress towards them. But from a financial perspective, we have three targets. First, growth. We want to grow faster than the market. Second, profitability. We have a clear ambition. Here, we want to improve our profitability towards our 16% EBIT margin target. While at the same time, obviously, given our light balance sheet, then balance that with also growing our absolute earnings as well. And then lastly, and we have a target on cash flow. We want to improve our working capital rotations and therefore have a healthy cash generation for the business. So I'll talk all of these three topics. And at the end, I will conclude with uh, our outlook for 2020 um, as, as a topic. So let's start with growth. How are we able to grow faster than the market? But before we get there, I'll start with looking a bit backwards. Henrik talked about orders, growth. I'll talk here about how we've been able to actually, if you look at the longer period, grow quite healthy ourselves. And during this strategic period, since 2016, uh, our average annual sales growth has been 6.2%. So clearly uh, higher than uh, largest peers uh, for our industry. While the growth has been good, it's also been broad based. So if I look at the business lines and how they contributed, our services has uh, average growth at the comparable uh, currencies of 6.5%. And our new equipment business has grown during this period 6%. Also, we've seen all of our areas contributing to this with highest growth in the period from Americas, 8.7%, EMEA growing 6.5% and Asia-Pacific 4.8%. And there, Henrik already talked about the impact from China in the early part of the strategy period. But overall, we have been growing quite well in this period. If I then look a bit in uh, what's happening in the coming years, and I'll start first with uh, our market outlook. So today you heard a lot about urbanization. We believe that it continues to be a key trend and a growth driver in our industry, supporting uh, positive development in new equipment business market and market. While it is true that the weaker economic outlook is likely going to dampen The short-term construction outlook. At the end we believe that in new equipment business in the coming years we have a stable or low single digit market growth in the coming years. And we as Kone we aim to grow grow faster than the market in this uh, segment. Then if we look at services business, what is the opportunity there? Overall we believe that the opportunity there is mid to high single digit growth. What is driving that? First, the fact that we have a steady growth in the install base, driving growth in the maintenance business. We have aging install base that is fundamentally a growth driver for the modernization business. We don't modernize enough. And then lastly, we've heard quite a bit today about the opportunities for creating more value into, uh, in our uh, services with the digital solutions that we're uh, developing. It's clearly providing us a good opportunity to see the growth being more driven by the services going forward. But then how about Kone? First, starting with our uh, our business in new equipment. we clearly on the right hand side, we're signaling there that we want to grow, not only with the market, but be able to capture growth in units, and also in value, uh, higher than the market itself. And what is enabling us to do it? First, we today talked a lot about the DX class elevators and how that's been a positive source of differentiation. It enables us to offer platforms for value adding services for our customers. And clearly that's something that we've seen our customers value. But it's not only about the future, it's also the basics. As witnessed by the last six months, the execution capabilities that we've had and now have been tested in this difficult environment clearly are also valued by our customers. We're there to deliver what our customers need in a changing environment. We continue to push for cost competitiveness to be able to also, from that perspective, be competitive. But we also want to innovate with our customers, co-create and understand their needs. And we believe that this is providing us with good basis to go after faster than the market growth in both units and in value going forward in the new equipment business. Then if I look at the maintenance business, there we talked about today how we've been able to turn around the corner when it comes to increasing the monetary value per unit, which was for quite some time going down in the, uh, and now for the last few years. Have actually been improving. It's clearly an opportunity for us to grow faster going forward. We have a strong market position in new equipment, enabling us to grow our maintenance base. This is a, a people business at the end, so the fact that we have engaged capable people, as Henrik was talking about, is a key driver for customer loyalty. That's clearly coming through in the net uh, 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 Net promoter scores and the comments that we get. And we are seeing that we are adding value for our customers through the 24-7 connected services and other similar services where we get a higher revenue per unit going forward. There's clearly a potential for accelerating growth in the maintenance business going forward. And then lastly about the modernization business. The aging install base that is aging in the Western world is also starting to be a more and more opportunity, especially in China and Asia. We believe that there's a sizable opportunity for us in the aging equipment base in China, where more and more of those units that get modernized are actually kone units that we've installed in the last 15 years. And we talked today about the smart and green buildings, how they're a driver for modernization business. It is clearly something where we see even the younger install base getting modernized uh, more uh, in in the coming years. So clearly we see that there's a potential also for accelerating growth in our modernization business going forward. Then how about profitability, if that was about growing faster than the market? On profitability, if I look at the period from 2016 to 2019, clearly, as Henrik was saying, we can't be happy about the progress we made. Both on absolute as well as on relative terms, we have actually not been improving, while at the last year we actually start to see our profitability improving, which is a good thing. But what is is the key drivers here? On the positive side, growth has contributed positively to our adjusted EBIT. We actually decided to increase our investments in R&D and IT, where we see good opportunities for creating value. And that's been a slightly negative impact to our profitability. We increased the investments by 50 basis points as a percentage of sales. But by far the biggest driver for this development has been the combination of the prices in Chinese new equipment market, which were under pressure, especially in 16 and 17, I'll talk a bit more about those, as well as the combination of the raw material headwinds that we've seen in the past few years. On the positive side, Accelerate program has uh, uh, contributed positively to our fixed cost leverage, and we believe that it will also continue to uh, develop positively and contribute also in this year and the following year positively our profits. But more about the margins of orders uh, development. I promise to talk about that. So first, this is a picture illustrating what has happened. We talked about how in a China market we saw pricing pressure overall, but while there was a combination of raw materials and therefore also the component cost coming down, our margins were quite stable. Then during 2016, as the market volumes peaked and we start to see the combination of uh, lower volumes and pricing pressure intensifying, we actually saw prices coming down while the raw material prices were going up. And therefore, our margins start to go come down in the second half of 2016. We worked quite hard to develop our pricing capability, and therefore, we start to see stabilization of our orders' margins in 2017. And with actions that we've taken, we actually start to see our orders margins improving in second quarter 2019, and we've seen positive developments since. And that's clearly a good direction, but it's good to note that compared to where we were, we are at the lower level, but we have a healthy, profitable business in China in new equipment. Then looking forward, How can we continue to see positive development in our earnings, as well as improving our profitability? So clearly the two levers we are focused on are increasing the value per unit, as you heard in all of the presentations today. We believe that we can, uh, with improving differentiation, we can add more value to our customers, increase the value proposition we have, and by therefore seeing the value per unit going up. At the same time, we are focused on also lowering the cost per unit. So working on making sure that we see, take the opportunities as talked about by uh, Tomio on product harmonization, driving the quality and productivity up to decrease the costs, as well as continually working on fixed cost leverage. Primarily that's been done by our Accelerate program, but it actually happens everywhere, every day across the corner. Clearly, these two levers both need to be used to continue to see uh, good development on earnings as well as profitability. Now, a few words about 2021. We have both headwinds as well as tailwinds ahead of us. What's boosting our performance? So first, we have a strong order book and the recently improved margins in orders received clearly is a positive thing. We have solid growth in our services business contributing positively, as well as the mentioned accelerate savings and performance improvements contribute positively. At the same time, given the environment we are in, we are expecting intensifying competition, having a negative impact, as well as overall economic and geopolitical uncertainties, creating a more difficult operating environment in, in next year. And then lastly, this year we've seen in our discretionary costs a lower level. We are not traveling. We're quite mindful of where and how we spend on the discretionary part. We don't expect that to continue fully next year. So there's clearly a more normal level we see, which is, which is then uh, burning our results compared to this year. Lastly, on capital efficiency. So clearly, cash flow is important, and we've been seeing a, very positive development this year, as was highlighting. Our first half 2020 cash flow has been exceptionally strong. And while there's exceptional items, especially in Q2, and there's always fluctuations, but if you look at the longer uh, uh, term uh, development in our cash flow, we've actually seen a very good high operative cash generation and cash conversion conversion over the uh, last years. And this is enabled by our stringent working capital management. And consistently, that's something we've been able to do quite good job on. Just to conclude now on the market and business outlook. First, we upgraded our market outlook last week. And there in new equipment, the key change was that we are now expecting the Chinese market to grow this year. In other regions, we are seeing the new equipment market to decline, no change there. In maintenance markets, we expect that to be resilient and excluding the direct impacts of possible lockdown measures uh, that, that, that has not changed. And in modernisation markets, the fundamental growth drivers as talked about today are intact, but there is uncertainty in the market uh, and that could delay decision making and impacting the modernisation projects overall. And then for Cone, our business outlook for 2020, which was also upgraded last week. We are now seeing that our sales this year are going to be in the range of minus 1 to 2% at the compar- comparable exchange rates compared to 2019. So uh, that is clear, uh, better than what we had in the past. And also our adjusted EBIT is in the range of 12.1 to 12.7 uh, this year. What is then supporting our performance to get here? We have a solid order book and a maintenance base supporting the business. We have the improved margins of orders received as well as the accelerate savings of 50 million that we expect for the year and selective cost containment actions uh, that are positively contributing to our results. On the other hand side, what's burdening our results overall COVID-19 has a negative impact to our results. We are seeing a headwind from subcontracting costs that are increasing. And we are investing to our capabilities despite this environment to sell and deliver digital services and solutions. And also uh, currencies um, have a negative 50 million impact to our e- EBIT uh, from uh, conversion translation rates. So overall, this is the upgraded uh, business outlook that we shared last week. But with that, I'll conclude my presentation. And there will be now time for Q&A, but before we get to the Q&A, give us a minute to get settled here and we'll start the session soon. Thank
1: you. Welcome back. We are now ready for the Q&A session. We got so many questions uh, through the the online form. Thanks for those. I'll I'll start with a couple more so that uh, we will not leave too many questions unanswered and then we will switch to the telephone lines. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll start with you Ilka, as as you were the last one to present. There were a couple of questions on the 16% margin target and where we are compared to that Uh, with our current margin of orders received and kind of how do we think about it overall and how to get there?
11: Thanks, Anna and um, if you first start with what I said actually in the beginning, so we clearly have an ambition in terms of profitability that we want to get to 16% margin target, but it is also a combination of absolute as well as relative performance, so we don't want to sacrifice growing our absolute profits as well. Uh, getting there. And clearly, if you look at the last few years, um, as I shared, it's been uh, more challenging when it comes to uh, our margin development. But clearly the fact that we're starting to see now improvement end of last year in our margins, and we had a positive margin outlook for this year, is positive. Mm. But there's many things where we see opportunities to continue to see that development going forward to be positive. So if you think about We today talked about how we can add more value, so whole digital offering uh, that is clearly contributing positively. The fact that we've been able to continue to see growth in our maintenance business uh, uh, contributes positively. And the fact that we have seen actually over time quite good growth is also a positive contributor to having a good fixed cost leverage. So all of those uh, are contributing to uh, getting towards our target. But as said uh, many times, is also a target where there's a clear ambition but we have not set an exact date for it. So in that sense we want to do the right thing to to grow both, uh, uh, grow uh, profitably uh, going forward to get there.
1: Thanks. There were many questions on 24-7 connected services from from different angles. I guess uh, one of the angles was that that can we connect competitors equipment Uh, and is that kind of our strategy to increase market
2: share? So I would say firstly that, uh, yes, we can connect competitor equipment and we have done that uh, quite broadly. Uh, I would say here that our strategy really there hasn't changed, that we are out there in the market, winning customers daily and actually also losing customers. But that's of course our strategy to win. The point is that we have a lot of non-Kone branded equipment in our maintenance base that we now have the ability, or actually have had for several years already, the ability to connect. Mm. So that's the perspective I would think about it mainly, is that we have those in our, mm. uh, in our maintenance base, those who want to connect, and of mm. course also all the corner equipment we mm. want to connect.
1: Yeah. Then a uh, question on, I guess, both DX and, and 24-7, but maybe, Henrik, you will like to take this. Is there, uh, when you're able to be more predictive and, and smarter about things, Will there be less need for repairs, for example, and is that bad for the business?
2: I would say, I would still uh, turn this back that uh, 24 7, as an example, we believe it's very good for our customers, Mm. for their operations, for them running their buildings. Mm. Whatever you do that is good for your customers' business, you benefit. Uh, The fact that you can predict when things go wrong, doesn't mean that you necessarily need to do less repairs. We can just provide much more visibility to our customers and they can plan it. We can do it when it's convenient to them, not mm-hmm. in an unscheduled way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's only good for business mm-hmm. and particularly everything you do to customers that improves their businesses mm-hmm. is good for your business. Yeah, and
1: I guess we can fix problems faster. And we
2: can fix problems faster, yeah. absolutely.
1: Good. Then uh, maybe finally, before uh, handing it over to the telephone lines, uh, there were a couple of questions on, on the outcomes and, and the value for customers. What is it in concrete terms? Could you give us a couple of examples what the outcome or the, the new value for
2: customers could be? So there, there are many of them, and if you think about outcomes, you can think about those in, in, from many different perspectives. A very basic outcome is that you just have better predictability mm-hmm. and you know that your people are going to be able to move in your building smooth seamlessly. Then you can go to more advanced outcomes. Uh, you know, an office building may say that uh, Kone, the service you provide us is to make sure that everyone can get from point A to point B in maximum of X minutes. And that is what we pay you for. If it's better than that, you get a premium. If it's less than that, you uh, you, you get less. And or uh, we can say that it can be on a construction site that, hey, we can help you improve your productivity and so and so much because we're helping to move people more smoothly in that, on that construction site than you could previously with previous types of solutions. So there are many different aspects of outcomes, but really an outcome, uh, what is really key to that is that you're really focusing on what is important to your customer. What helps improve their business? And that is what you commit to deliver upon.
1: Thank you. I think we're now ready to take questions from the telephone lines. Operator, please.
10: Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, you may signal by pressing star one on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Once again, star one for questions. We'll take
12: our first question from Klaus Berglund with City. Um, yes, hi Henrik, Ilke, and Sanna. It's Johnson City. So um, my 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 first question is on the maintenance business and focusing on Europe. So so there is now there is actually no very strong Henrik when it comes to the hardware and how you can optimize people flow. But I want to dig deeper into the maintenance business and the digital offering and threats out there. We're hearing now of tech operators are starting to join forces with independent service providers and quite big independents and thinking they have an in that they understand not only your equipment, but also better the equipment from third parties from a tech perspective. And obviously you say you can connect to third parties, but they
1: I think we lost you, but the question was on on the independent service providers and how they are talking about connecting the equipment in in a smarter way, kind of similar themes that we are talking about. Any reflections on that?
2: You know, I would say to give a perspective that uh, uh, our industry, we have always had a bunch of mid-sized and small uh, competitors. And I think we will continue to have that in the future as well. You know, when we look at uh, connecting and and using, uh, are we online? Uh, So when we think about connecting and using data here, as I mentioned, that we we are connecting third party equipment. uh, So that is something we do today. Here, I actually think that the big players will and do have a clear benefit because they have a broader base and you'd require that data from a broad base to create those service needs if you only have a small base only some hundreds or a thousand or a couple of thousand you're going to be very restricted in learning that what are the service needs that come out of certain signal out of the data and analyze and make sense out of it uh, so i think actually uh, we are in a good shape here uh, is there competition out there Absolutely, Uh, there is, and and they will always be. Uh, I think we also have to put it in perspective here that uh, uh, the big players have, you know, a million plus or much more units in their service. Then we're talking about smaller players who have some thousands. It's quite a different uh, game to, to scale it from one level to the other. And we all have a very large service base that we can connect so all of us have a big captive service base that we can connect. So yes, there's going to be competition. There's going to be uh, small companies, there's going to be startups. I think that's uh, absolutely uh, a sign of a healthy and a competitive industry. And that's something we're okay with.
12: Okay, very good. Can you hear me again?
2: We yes, can hear we can. you now again,
12: yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, thank you. So so my, my, my second one is on is on DEX. How how protected is is DEX when you look at the independence getting access? So, sorry to labor the point. I I totally get your answer. But on early innovations, I think it took quite some time until they could understand the technology and connect to your products. With with DEX, will it raise the barriers to entry versus the early models? Is it more difficult to connect to the control system, the ports? It's a great product when we look at the hardware and open source into the building. But I'm also interested in the control systems and the ports, Henrik
2: can tell Tomio, how difficult is it for someone to uh, connect into our DX uh, class elevator?
9: Well, I would, first I would start, you know, I, I said in my presentation that actually we believe in open ecosystem. We're building open ecosystem with APIs. So it's, it's, it's not so much about, you know, uh, what you are limiting, but it's about really actually opening the possibilities for our customers, for our partners, uh, and also, of course, for Kone. So mm-hmm. it's a bit different philosophy, actually.
8: Let me add to this because I think this is really key, right? We believe in speed of execution, speed of innovation. So, uh, and uh, so, so the world of sort of putting artificial barriers is over, right? Um, us being close to our customers, working with our customers, responding to their customers, evolving our technology very rapidly is uh, uh, is sort of the winning formula. So, um, and and that's how we sort of architecting our systems as well.
2: I would still build on that. Okay. Uh, that is definitely uh, our philosophy and, and an important point. Uh, though I would say that with our latest uh, generation control systems, we get much more data out of it than anyone else can, can get. But uh, that's not the, really the point. The point is to constantly move, as as you could hear from uh, Maciek and, and Tomio. My, my very final
12: one is on um, office and commercial. And... I created a simple spreadsheet with, with all the comments uh, when I looked at the, the regional comments, uh, looking through the slides. And obviously, the, the negative trends into 2021 across office and commercial and infra seems stable. And then you say residential could see accelerating growth, obviously with a caveat of, of, of China into the into the second half. And when I do that, I sort of get to a stable market environment. I don't know, Henrik, if you want to put some numbers to to those slides it, is that how you think about it
2: well, i think it's first of all difficult to give a full outlook for next year i think it's a little bit too early i think the situation is moving uh, quite fast i think you know uh, we're gonna have big differences you know we know has already comes this year from a strong position and as we said we believe that the first quarter as we go into a good situation there. I think in other markets that have been harder hit this year, I think we have to see how they recover because I do expect a recovery of them. So uh, I think, let's see. I don't know, Ilkka, if you have anything to well, guess add? You're starting from a
11: segment view, clearly in front residential are maybe uh, the more uh, stronger segments, while then commercial uh, clearly is, is maybe an, and travel and leisure uh, more impacted. But but overall, I guess we are seeing the opportunities um, more more towards the stable. But early days to to uh, to say exact numbers for next year yet, uh, given the uncertainties. But that's maybe the message that in coming quarters more more stable in that sense. Yeah, of
2: course. Thank you. Thank you.
10: We'll take our next question from Andre Kukkonen Kuchen- with. Uh, Credit Suisse.
13: Oh, hello. Thanks very much for taking my questions. Um, I'll start with one that uh, relates to the outlook and move on to margins. Okay, um, if I may uh, ask kind of directionally the stack of uh, positives versus negatives that you cite, um, w- which way are we looking for
7: 2021?
11: <laughs> That's a uh, well, uh, as you see, even the 2020, uh, there's still a range of outcomes uh, for for the business. There's both orders coming in but also things to execute this year and and uh, and as you know, we will guide then 2021 uh, more towards when we result, uh, uh, release our results uh, in January so. So uh, obviously we have an ambition to be in a position to grow our profitability, but but let's see what we then are able to do.
13: Thank you. And may I ask on the increased competitiveness, um, uh, that featuring as a uh, headwind for 2021, uh, when we discussed the Q2 results, uh, it sounded like you saw signs of increased competitiveness, but not um, pricing deterioration. Uh, the fact that you're putting it into headwinds for 2021, does that mean uh, you've seen this kind of moving on and progressing further and turning from science into increased competitiveness and hence the pricing outcome?
2: Well, I would actually define it as increased competition. I think our competitiveness is, uh, is in very good shape and has actually improved. You know, when you have uh, yeah. uh, when you have uh, declining markets, uh, as we have seen, then you usually you have the same number of players as before. Usually, everyone, you know, chasing a a slightly smaller pie, and that usually creates more competition. And and you know, that's what we see in in the hardest hit markets uh, so far. And and depends on the market development. That's uh, definitely what we expect to see going forward. I think what we said in Q2. Was that uh, you know? Then, and we don't, as you know, we don't uh, we don't comment on that going forward. But until then, we had actually had a good pricing development and had continued to improve the margins of orders received. But clearly, as we said, that uh, situation has got uh, uh, more intense. Very
13: clear. Thank you. And the final one, if I may, follow up on on DX. Clearly, that's uh, one of the main features of the day-to-day, and thank you for all the color. Is it possible to quantify that uh, kind of ASP increase? Uh, I know it's very diverse uh, uh, across different types of customers and verticals, um, but compared to the previous generation, uh, is there a way to put a number of, I don't know, even kind of a mid-high double-digit sort of ranges on uh, what you're achieving? Uh, with DX versus like-for-like uh, previous generation. And it, how has DX uh, launch developed um, in the last sort of 10 months compared to your original expectations in October, November last year?
2: Let me start and I'll, I'll hand over to uh, to, to Tomio uh, first. But first, you have to remember that we are early days. Uh, I would say, the, and Tomio can come. Uh, comment more on the speed of the rollout compared to to our expectations. Uh, What we are seeing with DX compared to the previous generation is that pricing is, first of all, slightly better for that. So we're getting a slight price premium for that. And why are customers paying a premium for that? Well, I think the key thing is that it gives them the adaptability and flexibility for the future. They may actually not know. Many of them, actually, uh, conversion rates for 24-7, we expect, will be quite high for DX because you can just turn it on. So that's of course, uh, will help. But all the other services, there are some that are picking them up already now. But the point is that when your needs change in the future and there are additional services, Tomio talked about the first services we have, but there are more coming, then you can turn those on. And and we, uh, you get the benefit and, and we can get additional revenues. So uh, our expectation is that uh, in the beginning, uh, it's still limited, but there's a big opportunity from that. If I take some example of, there are actually uh, not only one, but there are several hospitals who have bought it. They said, because we are thinking about what is our hospital of the future. And many Western countries are saying, hey, we actually don't have enough staff in hospitals, so we will need more delivery robots in them. That is not what I have in a hospital, but if I buy DX now, I have the option to bring it. So I make my hospital future-proof. When you want to have it, then you take that service. And we think actually the opportunity over a lifetime can be quite significant. We are starting still, I would say we are very much at the start. As Tomio mentioned, we have tendered a lot of them, we have sold, but we only now installing the first ones because you have to remember from tender to sales to installation, there's quite a long cycle. So, but uh, Tommy, you know, how, how do you see uh, the yeah. launch compared to expectations?
9: No, I think it was a, post, a positive surprise. I, I mentioned that it has been one of the fastest, let's say, product implementations I have seen personally, and it has been very consistent across the uh, markets where we are selling this. So that has been very uh, encouraging. Yes, we have seen a positive pricing, uh, pricing and margin uh, impact here. And again, as Henrik, you said, you know, you know, we are not just uh, selling elevator here and then later on maintenance and modernization, but actually we are able to upsell constantly the services during the whole life cycle. So I think, you know, there will be a lot what we are going to see and we are in the early, early phase and, uh, you know, you know that the deliver to order to deliver an installation are pretty long in our industry. So it will take some time before we even see the, some life, the lifetime benefits.
2: <laughs> and, and you know, uh, just as an anecdote, when Tomio much. talks, when Tomio talks about speed, he knows what speed is because he's lived for a long time in China and spent a lot of time there. So, this has been we've done China speed in Europe, and that's something.
13: Thank you.
10: Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Maddie Singh with Bank of America.
14: Yes, hi. Uh, Thanks for the call uh, and the opportunity to ask the question. Um, The first question I have is around, uh, again, on the DX elevators. Uh, So, you know, I understand your position uh, on the product, but if you could talk about the competitive environment around DX elevators, are there similar products available with your major competitors Uh, if – not so, then how far do you think uh, they are behind in terms of uh, these capabilities? Um, and second question is uh, on the m a side. Um, what are your plans uh, around m a and uh, uh, do you have um, a specific strategy now um, um, around this uh, uh, if not m and A then what are the alternative usage of cash for you?
2: Okay. Maybe I'll start with the M&A and, and uh, I can then hand over to Tomi and Maciek on the uh, competition question on, on DX. You know, as you know, we have a very strong balance sheet and you know that we continue to have strong appetite for acquisitions. Uh, I guess the challenge const- continues to be the availability of targets uh, compared to uh, what we are looking for. So definitely interest in that and, and we clearly have a balance sheet power to do it. Uh, you know, when we look at the DX, I'll, I'll let Tomio and Maciek answer that more. But when we look at it compared to competition, of course, we don't know where they are. But uh, as you I think we are pretty good. And I, I don't think, we, we don't comment on them. But Maciek and Tomio, any any thoughts you want to have?
9: Well, I, I can start, maybe Maciek, you continue. But, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, what I what I said also in the beginning was that I do believe that we are industry leader in terms of how we've been able to actually scale our new digital solution services including DX uh, and I have a commercial success already and uh, I think uh, one of the unique uh, uniqueness of uh, DX is that we are actually uh, creating open ecosystem and uh, you know we actually building not just a great offering but also ecosystem of partners. That is, I think, it's pretty unique. Uh, and of course, then I would not underestimate also the importance of the experience. You know, how we are able to create the unique new experience, combining digital and physical elements. But what do you think, Magic?
8: Fully agree. And again, as we said, uh, c- connectivity is an enabler, right? And we're not only uh, sort of coming up with DX for our uh, current uh, uh, offerings, but we're also DXifying our yeah. install base as well. Um, But then exactly to Tomia's point is the ecosystem, but it's also the solutions that come on top. Um, And that's basically where customer value uh, comes in, right? If we talk about just empty connectivity with a promise, the value will not hold very much. But if you have a connectivity with partner ecosystem, with solutions on top and customer co-creation on top of that, um, we think that this is a sustainable uh, differentiation uh, formula.
14: And and is it like a very unique thing right now, which is available only with uh, you guys, or you think a competition is also offering similar
9: products? You know, again, we're not commenting uh, individual competitors, but of course we do see that there are similar kind of also uh, connectivity uh, provided for elevators. But I think that's not the key, the connectivity, but really the... What type of value can enable by that? And I think here we believe that we have a unique advantage.
8: Maybe to add to this, because uh, we talked earlier that uh, Kona uh, was leading uh, in the industry in terms of integrating physical and digital capability. And we've uh, been working on this for what, since 2016, uh, 16, right? So for a couple of years now, and we've gained experience in integrating these capabilities together, integrating a partner ecosystem these are these are things that you don't learn overnight. Uh, you actually have to experience it. You le- you have to learn on your mistakes, and you have to correct and move on. So it's not just DX; it's the whole package uh, that is important.
14: Thank you. I have one follow-up question on the pricing uh, environment. Uh, it has been quite supportive so far. Um, how long do you think the pricing generally will be supportive, um, given you know all the? Uh, situations around uh, increased competitiveness as you have mentioned uh, especially looking into 2021 do you think uh, pricing will remain a, a tailwind for you or do you think that can be a headwind in 2021
2: i would say first of all we don't we never comment on pricing going forward because that's going to be individual you know negotiations we have with our customers so uh i would say that why have we improved our pricing i'm not sure there's been uh, the environment has been easy I would say that it's because we have brought new values to our customers and we have also definitely improved our sales and pricing capabilities. What we said is that what we expect going forward is that uh, competition in the market is and has intensified. And uh, then we have to see what the outcome is uh, going forward from that. Okay, and
14: just you know to follow up on my M&A question I asked. Um, what are the alternative uses of cash if
11: you are not able to find a suitable opportunity? Well, maybe I'll take take it. So, as you said, uh, we have a strong balance sheet and if I think about the environment we were, especially in the beginning of this year with COVID-19 crisis, it definitely was something where having a strong balance sheet was uh, advantage. We could get take a look at where we we want to take Cone forward and, and also have the Uh, balance sheet to support making decisions for the long term not for the short term. Then at the end of the day for for us and this business we don't need much capital to operate the business as such so so it's always a decision then also by the board what the right capital structure is for the company. So um, let's see. Um, At the end of the day we've been quite proud about our track record in the past for the dividends. We've been able to consistently grow it uh, quite nicely, and 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 it's something we we feel proud about. But at the end of the day, it's it's a decision by the board.
14: Uh, thank you very much for uh, enlightening you know set of presentations. It was very very useful. Thank you.
2: Thank
10: you. We'll take our next question from Danielle Acosta with Goldman Sachs.
15: Hi, good afternoon. Hope you can uh, hear me well. I, I have one um, question with a couple of sub points, but relates to the 16 percent um, long-term margin target. I know you have had the target for um, for the past few years um, and wanted to understand how, how shall we look about at, at it now. Um, so a couple of points, I guess in the past you've been close to 15 percent at the peak. Shall we see the 16 percent as this is like where the next peak could be or is it more of a true cycle ambition now because you have the and um, Conacare and 24-7 and all these opportunities that you didn't have before which makes it more likely now or is it just aspirational? Um, How shall we interpret it? Thank you.
11: Thanks for the question and uh, I guess I answered already uh, quite similar question in the beginning but clearly we have now uh, good opportunities to grow profitability uh, in terms of the offering we have And, and if I look at the the uh, new services and solutions like 24 seven, they are clearly, uh, their margin structure as you get them to volume is much more, uh, I would say, software-like. So there's a fairly small incremental uh, cost to add new units as you get it to scale. So clearly those are ways for us to improve DX similarly, as we add more services on top of this platform. Uh, Also uh, is a, Uh, different type of revenue opportunity that we've had in the past we can now sell add-on revenue so clearly they are uh, helping us to get towards the margin target but uh, your question is that the absolute maximum where we get to let's first get there and and then see what the next target is so it's uh, still if i think about where we are today we have plenty of work to be done to get there
10: We'll take our next
15: question from Riz Medai with Jeffries. Uh, yes, uh, good, good afternoon. Hope you hear me uh, well. Thank you very much for the uh, comprehensive presentation. I have I have three questions. So, number one is on the uh, digital solutions. So, whether that is 24/7 connected or or Konecare. Uh Thanks for sharing the uh, penetration rates. Uh, my question here is. Maybe can you help us um, uh, just assess what is this total stream of revenues, so digital revenues today as a percentage of maintenance sales, and also if you can help us with what is roughly the percentage of newly signed uh, maintenance contracts uh, that are uh, digital. And then finally here, uh, just the profitability on those contracts. I think last time you commented on those um, because of all the investments, you said it was uh, break-even. I'll start here, and I'll, I'll ask the other questions later.
2: Okay, so uh, we have not disclosed the revenues, but uh, what I mentioned is that our maintenance business, uh, the additional revenue is contributing roughly a percentage point of our sales growth, so that that tells you something. So we're still at the starting point, but uh, we are growing them very nicely at the moment. When you look at uh, how many of our new maintenance contracts, uh, I think the most helpful way uh, what I've been looking at is that of uh, new elevators we install, that we then, after the first service period, convert into our maintenance base. What is the hit rate there? How many of those have 24-7 connected services? And uh, there, we actually above 20%, in some cases 25%. So uh, that is, uh, we can see that the momentum that way coming in is is good. Uh, And of course, increasing, Uh, but then we have the uh, huge base that we want to se- uh, sell to our customers, this uh, additional value to them. And uh, that of course is pr- progressing also every day.
11: Maybe I'll then add uh, from a, a profitability perspective, that is a, your, uh, part of your question. So I actually wanted to come back because I think you were also then highlighting uh, the new Connect Care and 24-7 in a bit the same sentence. So I would say that for the new Connect Care, it is the way we sell our maintenance service. That's the basic uh, way to sell in most markets. And in that sense, we've been seeing a positive uh, pricing impact coming from that. And that's uh, clearly then positively impacting profitability as well uh, in those markets and those cases. Then for 24-7 connected service, I I said um, already earlier that the margin structure as we get to scale is much more software-like, but clearly still today, uh, the scale we're in, uh, we are actually uh, more break-even, uh, slightly positive maybe, but it, when we also include the development costs that we put into the, uh, developing it further and and being able to really uh, provide the the, uh, the platform to, to grow it. So in that sense, today it's still uh, more of a neutral impact to our profit, profitability.
15: Okay, uh, thank you very much. My second question is on, is on China and the. my understanding is that the restrictions now uh, have now spread from buyers to now uh, real estate uh, developers. I think we've had uh, a bit of a shock a couple of weeks ago, on one of the, the biggest real estate developers um, uh, sort of, um, you know, um, being caught in, in sort of, uh, you know, high leverage, and all this has been speculated. Are you, are you worried about uh, the, the leverage of your um, uh, customers in in China? I, I, do you, do you track it, or if you can help us, uh, you know, a form of view there, that would be helpful. You take that.
11: Well, I guess first, my job is to worry. So yes, I always worry. Uh, that comes with the with the, with the job. Uh, but, but obviously, we talked about over time, quite a lot about uh, our relationship with our customers, the fact that they are, uh, the bigger developers are growing share and how we've been uh, as part of the whole negotiation with them. Obviously, payment terms are part of that and, and, uh, and we continue to monitor that we, the, the customers that we are dealing with uh, from a financial perspective are also healthy companies um, naturally. But then it, when it comes to the more recent changes, so I guess it's always, a, has been a bit of up and down in China in terms of the liquidity overall in the market. Now, I would say that during the first half of the, uh, this year, uh, overall uh, liquidity was better. And uh, and and although the uh, government was not specifically directing us almost Trying to restrict that to go to developers um, in order to have a ma- uh, a good uh, uh, balanced growth in uh, especially in the residential sector. So, so at the end of the day, I mean, it, it was also positive, as Bill was saying, uh, impacting our customers. Now, more recently, there's been tighter restrictions in place, and and um, and and it is something that I believe that for the long term is actually the right thing to do. We like to have customers that are have a healthy balance sheets and can continue to grow their business in, in a good way. And and yes, we do follow, uh, as I said, uh, our uh, their leverage and, and the business from the numbers that we see.
15: Okay, uh, thank you. And then finally, just on the market dynamics, whether you've seen any change there, um, uh, you know, your biggest uh, U.S. competitor is now a, a, a standalone company, uh, is another uh, big competitor in Europe is in the hands of private equity. I'm just wondering if you've seen now in the last sort of uh, months, uh, quarters, any change in, in the market
2: dynamics please. Uh, you know, as you know, again, we don't comment on individual uh, competitors. I think what we said is that uh, we think that uh, uh, competition for many reasons have tightened the market. Uh, I think we feel good about our competitiveness, about our position, about the team we have to deal with that and that's just you know something you have to deal with but we feel quite comfortable with the position that we have right now and how we are developing forward of course it means that we have to run a little bit faster all the time but that's uh, what you have to do in a in a healthy and competitive industry
15: okay thank you very much
2: thanks
10: at this time there are no additional questions i'd like to turn it back over to our speakers for any additional or closing remarks
1: Thank you. I guess it's time to wrap up. Thank you for the very active participation and thank you to all the speakers. Uh, We would have loved to see you all face to face, but hopefully the day was worthwhile for for you also this way. We will send feedback questionnaires afterwards and and hopefully many of you will take the time and and provide feedback to us. I guess next we will report our Q3 report on October twenty second, And in the meantime, if you have any questions, We're happy to help. Thank you. Have a nice evening.
2: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. you.